call the city council to order for June 28th, 2022. Can we have roll call, please? Council agency authority members Sullivan? Here. Stockton? Here. Ritchie? Here. Silva? Here. Wiley? Here. Vice Mayor, Vice Chair Roberts? Here. Mayor, Chair Roulette? I am here. Would you please stand with me for a moment of silence? Mr. City Manager, item four, approval of agenda. Is there anything on the agenda that is? Yes, thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, there's no changes to the agenda per se, but just for clarification and certainty for members of the audience tonight, uh, I want to make sure that they see that items 9D, um, the uh, pre-qualification procedure has been tabled to a future date, and item 9E, um, our ordinance for military equipment has been continued to the meeting of August 9th. Um, other than that, there are no changes to, to tonight's agenda. We had nothing to report from our closed session. I don't need to add that. Okay. Well, I announced it. So item five, approval of the minutes. Oh, you know what? Let's approve the agenda <laughs> with the changes or with the, with no changes. With no changes. I'll, I'll entertain motion. Uh, motion and second. Roll call, please. Councilmember Sullivan? Yes. Councilmember Stockton? Yes. Councilmember Ritchie? Yes. Councilmember Silva? Yes. Councilmember Wiley? Yes. Vice Mayor Roberts? Yes. Mayor Rowett? Yes. All right. Uh, item five, approval of the minutes. I'll entertain motion. Motion approved. Uh, motion and second. Roll call, please. Councilmember Stockton? Yes. Councilmember Ritchie? Yes. Councilmember Silva? Yes. Councilmember Wiley? Yes. Vice Mayor Roberts? Yes. Councilmember Sullivan? Yes. Mayor Roulette? Yes. All right. We'll move to item 6A, presentations. Mr. City Manager, we have someone coming up. Yes. Uh, representative from our Parks and Recs Department, Tiffany Ritchie Western, will be here to give you an update on our National Parks and Recreation Month proclamation. Your mic is on. Thank you. <clears throat> View. My apologies, I'm trying to open it in its entirety. Thank you for having me, Mayor, Vice Mayor, and Council Members. Um, I am Tiffany Ritchie Western. I am a Recreation Supervisor with the Rec Parks and Recreation Department. And we are here to celebrate July as National Parks and Recreation Month. Each and every one of you received a swag bag on your 
Uh, there we are, on your chair. Um, and I just want to talk a little bit about some of the things that we're offering this July um, to celebrate National Parks and Recreation Month. So the bags that you have, the totes, um, they're perfect for putting your beach towel and sunscreen in and attending uh, one of our uh, many events that we have at the Walter Graham Aquatic Center. This uh, July, we are going to have a dive-in movie on the 23rd. Uh, we're going to have uh, some of our aqua board classes, open swim, and many, many other programs out at the Walter Graham. Uh, in addition to that, you guys will all find a fan in your bag, and that fan is perfect for those Friday nights out at Creekwalk, out at Andrews Park. Um, in addition to Creekwalk, we will also have our concert and our fireworks show uh, on July 4th. So uh, we'd love to see you out there. You'll also notice there is a t-ball hat in your bag, and we would like to invite you out on a Saturday, July 9th at 9 a.m. at Keating Park for our annual uh, t-ball opening ceremony. Uh, we will, there's no, or, I'm sorry, there's no, um, uh, what am I trying to say? The first pitch, but instead you can rather hit off of the tee, and so we would love to have all of you out there uh, for that event. In addition to that, um, you will find the calendar as shown here, as well as the um, events guide that shows all of our camps, programs, events, everything that we have in store, not only for July, but throughout the course of summer. Um, if you have any comments or, que or any questions, uh, please refer to the guide or um, online. We have everything listed uh, on our website. Any questions regarding July? I see no questions, but I do have a proclamation for you. Okay. <clears throat> Actually, I do. You want to jump in first? Well, I have one question because I'm looking where it says uh, play catch with your pup, Centennial Dog Park, free. Now, is it free all the time or is it just free on that particular day? It's free all the time. And so we did just put some random items uh, on the calendar itself. Um, many of these items run throughout the course of summer or throughout the course of the year. Uh, that's just one specific thing that we're throwing out there as far as, and it doesn't have to be Centennial Park, it'd be any of our dogs. Just parks. an activity is that Yes, day. just oh, an activity oh, to get you, you out and involved in the community. There's a lot of other free things as well. Absolutely. Okay, great. Okay, so I do have a proclamation. This proclamation is for Parks and Recreation Month. Whereas safe parks and recreation programs help prevent social problems, offer positive alternatives for youth, contribute to good health, enhance the desirability of locations for new businesses and families, stimulates tourism revenues, generally provides an overall improved quality of life, and whereas thousands of Vacaville children, adults, and seniors benefit from the wide range of services, facilities, and programs provided by the Vacaville Parks and Recreation Department, now, therefore, being resolved, I, Ron Roulette, mayor on behalf of the entire city council, hereby proclaim the month of July 2022 as Parks and Recreation Month and urge residents to enjoy and recognize the social, physical, mental, economic, environmental, and community benefits derived from our parks and recreation facilities. So if you'd come up. Item seven, consent calendar. Anyone on the city council that wants to pull any item? I see Vice Mayor Roberts. Which item would you like to yeah, pull? Yeah, I want to pull uh, item 7J regarding the grand jury report for uh, emergency preparedness. Okay, 7J. Anyone else? I'll open it to the public. Anybody from the public want to pull something off the consent calendar tonight? 
I see no one, so I'll entertain motion for 7A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, K, L, and that's it. Do I have a second? Second. Roll call, please. Councilmember Silva? Yes. Uh, Councilmember Wiley? Yes. Vice Mayor Roberts? Yes. Councilmember Sullivan? Yes. Councilmember Stockton? Yes. Mayor Roulette? Aye. Uh, I will move to item 7J and I'll give it to the Vice Mayor. <clears throat> gotcha. Yeah, I just want to pull aside and discuss a little bit about the grand jury findings of the general preparedness of the county. Uh, we do have a letter of response which was required for us for uh, finding two, uh, develop uh, compatible evacuation zones and routes throughout the county and to be uh, create public awareness and evacuation zones and routes. Uh, after reading this a little bit more yesterday, uh, while this, yeah, I definitely agree with it, but I think it is slightly insufficient because it only talks about the community wildfire protection plan where we should, where that's only a piece of the evacuation routes. I know that a lot of it relies on the county, but we really need to promote uh, working on evacu evacuation plans for all the different hazards listed in the mitigation plan because evacuation routes for fires versus earthquake versus debris flow are gonna be different for each of those scenarios. The earthquakes, you have liquefaction, so some of those routes may be closed or damaged and not be useful. Um, so I'd really like to take a look at this again to encompass more of the other disasters listed in our mitigation plan. Um, and part of this would be also finishing up our, our city's EOP and possibly providing support for uh, or noting support for a county disaster council, which I know is gonna be coming up here in the near future. And as far as creating public awareness for evacuation zones, um, while, while it does say commit to participate in the county's efforts, uh, we do need to develop our own plan because we can't rely on the county to do, I mean, they have to focus on every city in the county as well as our unincorporated areas. So we really need our own public awareness program and to make sure everybody knows it's during LNU fire, our, our public safety PD and fire did an awesome job. The big problem was the public didn't know a lot of the plan which created the backup on Peabody and a lot of the other routes. Whereas um, if it is generally known as well as the McBride Center as the evacuation center, as evacuation center within the evacuation zone so if the fire had gotten into town, you would have had to relocate and evacuate a bunch of seniors a second time. So it's stuff like that, that we really need to focus on our, what we have going on in our city, not, and then relay that to the county as well, if we do have to go out of town. Um, yeah, so those are the couple pieces I had thoughts on this uh, response letter, was to not just focus on the, the wildfires, but other aspects for two-way and then put in a little bit that we will be working on our own uh, community awareness plan uh, not just solely relying on the county can we just add that and approve or do you, we need to pull it 
If it's okay, if I could have the fire chief, uh, Chris Conception, come up and address some of those comments. The mic's on. Thank you. Good evening. Um, just so uh, the reason that we responded that way was that was specifically what the grand jury findings were. So I was responding, or we were responding, I should say, we were responding specifically to their finding and their recommendation. Um, and so just to give you a little update on some of you, I share your, I share your concerns and, and uh, recommendations. So just to give you a little update as far as um, we actually are participating. Uh, so the, we uh, are, um, we committed, we wrote a, a letter of commitment, uh, the fire department did, to, com uh, to commit to participate with the county on evacuation preparedness and evacuation uh, zones. And they uh, received a grant um, to use a software called Zone Haven. And in fact, the first meetings are uh, all day, July 12th and 13th, and uh, we will be participating. And I know I've already, um, I've already assigned my deputy chief to participate in that, and the county is also looking for participation from our public works as well as from our PD. So um, those um, participants will be coming up. Um, and so as far as um, evacuation zone um, uh, awareness by the public, it wouldn't do us any good, um, as far as I'm concerned, to uh, make public aware of evacuation zones I want to wait until this process is done with the county. Um, as, as I said in the letter, as soon as that's been determined by the county and that collaborative effort, then we will definitely do a, an outreach effort to um, make our public aware of what those specific evacuation zones are, regardless of what the disaster is, because it'll be determined all the different, all the, not just wildfire. Yeah. Um, it's part of the wildfire preparedness grant but it'll also determine uh, evacuation zones for all those different uh, disasters as well. So um, once those have been determined, then definitely we will be doing our own outreach um, as far as the city is concerned. Okay, yeah, appreciate the feedback. Yeah, it's just looking at it from like the general public view. So if they just read this and think it might only be for wildfires, uh, if they just pulled this off the agenda, they might not know, which is why I wanted to have this discussion. Right. So people were aware of it. Work's happening behind the scenes. I'll open it up to public comment for this item J, consent, just for this item J. Yep, okay. <clears throat> Considering what the fire chief just said, maybe my remarks are being, going to be a little bit harsh, but here it is. Good evening, city council and city staff. My name is Joan Marquand Wilsey and I live in Vacaville. I'm here to urge the city to take action to prepare Vacaville and all of Solano County for emergencies. I read the grand jury report attached to tonight's agenda, and I agree that we are unprepared for emergencies in Vacaville and Solano County. When disasters hit, we count on public agencies to advise and to warn us how to stay safe and to assist us to get to safety. I experienced the Nelson fire in August of 10, August 10th of 2018. I have these photos, which I kept. Um, my family and my neighbors watched as the smoke built, the deadly red sky, the flames were swallowing up the dry grasslands as the fire was approaching Peabody Road. 
and Foxborough Elementary School, the SPCA and its, its animals, and the prison, and all the people locked inside there. We were, uh, well, I lived two blocks from Foxborough Elementary. So my husband and I decided to pack our cars with some of our belongings and our dog and get further away from the fire line. We left our home and our neighborhood anxious about it all going up in flames. Thankfully, the Vacaville Fire Department and other fire departments worked together to control the Nelson fire very quickly. And then in 2020, we experienced the LMU complex fire and the anxiety of hundreds of people trying to evacuate our neighborhoods, winding up in that traffic jam on Peabody Road. It seemed we had nowhere to find safety in that situation. Fire season is now year round. Who knows when the next fire or other event explodes into a citywide or a countywide emergency. I've read the letter drafted by the city manager as a response to the grand jury report. And I don't know all the background that is happening. It looks like people are working on things and the fire chief mentioned there's meetings coming up in July. But I don't know what that schedule implies as far as action. I think that response from the city manager to me sounds as a passive remark. Uh, it only gives vague commitment about how we're going to be working on solutions. Now is the time to create a cohesive, efficient plan to safely respond to emergencies that are coming. I urge the Vacaville leaders to take the lead now, to gather together now as the, all the appropriate agencies and in Solano County and develop and implement a coordinated plan for safety. So thanks in advance for being in the forefront of a plan of action in response to the grand jury's report. Thank thanks. you, ma'am. Anybody else? Seeing no other, I'm gonna close public comment. You wanna? Yeah, I'll make the motion to submit the, the letter uh, or the response to the grand jury. Okay, I have a motion, do I have a second? Um, all those in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? Oh, no, we got a roll call. Yeah. Sorry. Council Member Silva? Council Member Sorry, Silva? Sorry, I have a quick question for the Chief. There's a question for the Chief. Sure, Chief. Uh, May Chief, uh, just uh, in those upcoming discussions, <clears throat> uh, just a uh, special request to see if we can uh, include uh, some type of role to help expedite the uh, those who are evacuating or those who are trying to leave town to uh, some type of plan put in place to make sure that they can get on the freeway and uh, reduce the amount of uh, backup of traffic to the special request. Sorry, there you go. I got it. Thank you. I, I'm sorry. Can you can you repeat that, please? I, I didn't quite understand what you were saying. I'm sorry, I think one of the issues was that when um, one of the issues for one of the one of the times that the uh, folks in the city had to evacuate uh, was the backlog in traffic. So a lot of traffic was backed up. Um, so within that within that evacuation plan, I'm curious to see how we can work in designating certain, some type of role, whether it be PD or somebody else, uh, that would help uh, ensure that traffic is continuing to flow to reduce the amount of uh, folks that are backed up trying to leave town. 
Absolutely, that, that's always part of the plan for an evacuation plan is uh, specific roles for different departments and different personnel. Okay, thank you. Roll call. Thanks, Chief. Council Member Silva? Yes. Council Member Wiley? Yes. Vice Mayor Roberts? Yes. Council Member Sullivan? Yes. Council Member Stockton? Yes. Council Member Ritchie? Yes. Mayor Rowlett? Yes. And Chief, can you, we make sure we get her contact information and thank you very much. You got it? Okay, thank you. Okay, we'll take care of you. All right, we'll move on to item eight, business from the forum. This is time to address the council with any issues that are not on this agenda, but are within the council matter jurisdiction. Seeing none, I'm gonna close public comment. We will move on to public hearings 9a mr city manager thank you mr mayor members of the city council this first item before you tonight is an ordinance adding subsection to our municipal code delegating the authority of, to the city engineer to enter into subdivision improvement agreements our interim senior civil engineer chris joya is here to make a presentation for the council Good evening, Mayor and uh, members of City Council. Uh, this item before you tonight is um, to consider an ordinance change, uh, which will delegate authority to the city engineer to enter into uh, improvement agreements. Um, so when proposing to subdivide a property, a developer is required to comply with the State of California Subdivision Map Act and the city's municipal code. And that requires submittal of a tentative map as part of the tentative map process, conditions of approval are generated by city council or planning commission. And then the developer will need to submit improvement plans of the public works department, specifying the, the public improvements needed to support a given development. And those are the city streets, the sidewalks, street lights, water sewer pipes, et cetera. Once the plans are approved, the developer is required to enter into an, an improvement agreement with the city, which is gonna ensure that the improvements are built. The developer also submits a final map, which is the me mechanism that subdivides the property into the smaller lots. Both the improvement agreement and the final map have historically been approved by city council and usually at the same time. However, recently developers have wanted to proceed with construction ahead of the final map and requested city council approval of the subdivision improvement agreement separately before council took action on the final map. And this approach allowed development to move forward more quickly, but it inadvertently creates an, an inefficiency in the process by creating the need for two separate city council meetings. So as a solution to the inefficiency, the state of California's government code allows council to, des to designate an officer, or excuse me, an official to enter into public improvement agreements. So we're recommending authority, delegation of this authority to the city engineer since this position with the Public Works Department is responsible for development engineering activities, typically associated with the public improvement agreements. And in order to do this, we're recommending additional language to the city's municipal code, and that's specified in the draft ordinance uh, included in the staff report before you, and that's also um, the language in green on the screen. 
And this is the language that's gonna allow the city engineer to sign public improvement agreements on behalf of city council. Council is still going to retain authority over the approval of the development's final map and staff will continue to request city council action for each final map. Uh, approval of this ordinance would streamline the city's development process by not requesting two separate city council actions for approving a public improvement agreement and then a final map. And the goal of the ordinance change is to save not only public works department and city manager office staff time and expenses, but valuable city council time and effort by reducing the number of staff reports and city council actions. So it's our recommendation to introduce the subject ordinance by title only. If the language is approved, we'll bring back the item for a second reading uh, before city council. And then the additional language would become effective 30 days after approval. And if any changes to the language are proposed, this would need to be brought back before city council for first and second readings of the revised language. And with that, I'd be happy to answer any questions you may have. Public comment. I see no public comment. I'm gonna close public comment. I'm gonna bring it back to council member Wiley. Thank you. I just have two questions for clarification. We talk about a two-step project uh, process. So it sounds like if this comes into play, it, they would, the city engineer would always do the first step because you said the city council has to do the final map. Is that correct? That's or correct. It's delegating the authority to do the first step, which is the subdivision improvement agreement. That'll, instead of us bringing that item before council every time, the, the city engineer will sign on behalf of city council. But for every project, you'll still have an opportunity to review the project with the final map because right. every, every final map will be brought before council for approval. And then the second question, you say the city manager, do we only have one city manager or do we have an assistant or will it only be one city manager that has that sign off privilege? I'm sorry if I said city manager, it was city engineer. I, mean, I, was, that, I said the wrong thing, <laughs> the, the city engineer. Do we just have one city engineer? We just have one city engineer okay. to, to sign uh, the agreements, but there's only one position as city. Okay, that's what I want. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, Council Member Stockton. Yes, thank you for the presentation. So, walk me through this. A developer uh, puts forward a development that they, a proposal that they want to build, and then would that go to the city engineer before it came to the council, or would we approve that and then you would work with them in order to iron out some of the details that you mentioned in here, like utilities and Typically a project starts in planning and it gets approved by either the planning commission or, and or planning commission and city council. Once the project is approved by planning or planning commission or council, then uh, the developer will submit plans to the city engineer, uh, the public works department essentially, to review the plans associated with that development. Because as part of the original approval process, uh, city council or planning commission will, will place conditions of approval on, on the project and then it's up to the public works department to make sure that those conditions are you know included in the improvement plans so once we review the plans and make sure that those conditions are included and all the city standards are adhered to uh, then they the developer will enter into a subdivision improvement agreement uh, we'll sign that subdivision improvement agreement if given the authority to do that. And then uh, once that happens, a final map 
will be brought before city council for approval. Okay, so so you would be making those requests on our behalf? Yes. For changes? Requests to, or changes for? For the plan that they bring to you, to the planning department, is that correct? Well, we'll review the plans to make sure that um, everything's up to our, our standards and all the conditions are, are met. Um, and any changes or requirements uh, made by the Planning Commission or City Council are um, included in the plans. So we would review that on behalf of, of Council. After you've already presented it to us or without presenting it to us? Okay. Um, as part of the City planning... is going to jump in. Okay. okay. I, I, I'm going to jump in. He's going to fill you out. So the... Um, uh, Mr. Joy has explained it very well, but what, what he's referring to is, is that the discretionary part of the subdivision map happens at any number of different levels, depending on where, you know, the size and, and the location of the subdivision, okay? And that's where the discretionary comes in and part of the review. And so all the city departments look at it, they place conditions of approval on it to make sure that it complies with all the current development standards, uh, road width, infrastructure, lot sizes, all those things. That's the discretionary part of it. And once that's approved, it's approved with a bunch of conditions to say, you shall meet all the city codes. So once it goes from there, and typically those are approved by the planning commission level. Um, it could be something that has been approved as part of a larger specific plan that the city council has seen. Um, and, and so there's varying levels of that. But typically the subdivision map um, is stops at the planning commission level. Once that's done, then they submit their, uh, their map for formal approval and it has to be consistent and comply with all those conditions of approval. That is the job of the city engineer to coordinate that with all the city departments to make sure that those conditions have been incorporated properly into the, the final subdivision map plans so that they are building the right subdivision that we asked them to build and condition them to approve. So typically that map will not come back to council except in the final map to accept the improvements. Um, there is no discretionary debating going on between the city engineer and the developer at that time because the tentative map has already been approved. It's now simply making sure that what they're including in the final map designs are consistent with the conditions of approval that have been placed on the project. Okay. So will this will could can these changes lead to the removal or additions of amenities for these projects absolutely not um, so the only thing that it would do would be to prevent to potentially stop or not give the community two opportunities to discuss them but they would still get to discuss it the one time at the end well, and typically, so the final map would still come back to council, and typically that's on consent because it's it's simply a business matter to accept the improvements, and and the the final map. But if someone was had a, a, a comment to share, they certainly have that opportunity. So there wouldn't be this wouldn't be an agendized item for the public to discuss. The final map would still continue to be because that comes back to council. The subdivision improvement agreement, which is basically. Here's the infrastructure that we're putting in to build the map that we were approved to build. That would go now to the city engineer's discretion. Okay. I'm just, I was just curious why we're delegating this authority and, and want to make sure that it's not going to prevent the community from having an opportunity to give their say on 
the project shaping and, and coming to fruition for that final lot. So thank you for answering that question. Councilmember Ritchie. Thanks so much. I was kind of payback off uh, Council Council Stockton's comment. I got I, I get this is kind of exciting because this subject I know a little too well, but um, it's I mean I think the concern is like I shared with Stockton's like we've we've been implicitly just pounding and pounding the last half a year about uh, development in the city and how hey it's going to be a little different now. Um, um, what did happen? We're not going to let it happen in the future. Belongs Ritter on his watch, but like. I think it's where the divergence of tentative plans um, to the final plan subdivision um, where a project comes to back a bill and the tentative plan is XYZ and ends up way over here in the, in the field. So I think that's really kind of like our concern as a council of we make sure that the same thing that we we were presented the community thought was going to happen and the tentative plan and the general pitch of a development will be there in the final final plat map and the final plan. So. The fact that we are the buck stops with us, and we have the ability to say no, 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 and pull it from agenda, pull it from, um, pull it, and address it, and make sure it can't go past us. If there's a big divergence, I think that's what the community wants to make sure that. And I'm all for speed. Because speed is going to help the developers do the job better and faster, cut costs, city time will go down. So the faster we get stuff done, the better. But it's still, this still, we see some divergence. Like, wait a minute. That was not there before. That's been adjusted or minimized or mitigated. It allow us as a council to, to hold developers accountable for what we got excited for by saying yes in the beginning to the final final map. I think that's really, I, I love the fact that the engineer, do your thing, hurry up, get it done so we can work faster. But it's still the buck stops with us. And I think it's a great thing. Um, it's just, I think that's been a big concern of having the final map um, looks so much different than the initial plans. And I mean, developers, they're not gonna change that much knowing that we're not standing for it. All the soft costs they're gonna spend, all the money they're gonna spend to get to that point, just they have it augmented two or three times, that's money spent, time spent. So I think they're, if they get the picture that it needs to be very close to the original plan, they're gonna stick to it and kind of like, we all play nicely. So I, I think it's all good. Are you good? Just, just for the sake of ensuring everybody's happy and satisfied with this, uh, I just want to make sure that the council and, and the viewing audience is, is rest assured that um, for this type of project, especially subdivision maps, or for that matter, any project that goes through a discretionary entitlement process, which is just about every project that we process, once it's approved by the approving authority, whether that's the planning commissioner or the city council, our job as staff is to make sure that when they come in for the next step, which is building permits or final maps and things like that, that it is substantially consistent with the original approval. That's our jobs. We're the gatekeepers to make sure that the approved project matches the built, to be built project. If there's any changes that are de deviate from that approval, we bring it back to the original approving authority for discussion. Thank you. Okay, I'll entertain a motion. Okay, so you're motioning not. You're going against this recommendation. So if you want to keep it the way it is, you wouldn't need a motion at all. You okay. just wouldn't, you wouldn't pass a motion to adopt this. Does anyone have the ordinance? motion to pass this item? No. Okay, I'll second. I have a motion and a second. 
and this is <laughs> city clerk if it does pass after roll call will you read it before i run you over and go to the next <laughs> item and we have to go back see roll you call. always remember you just remember ahead of time I, I, exactly <laughs> <laughs> Councilmember Wiley. Yes. Vice Mayor Roberts. Yes. Councilmember Sullivan. Can I ask Councilmember Stockton to add a little clear, like what what is your thought process? My, my hang up is that I think that we are minimizing the public's opportunity to address any concerns with us that they may have about any changes to any development um, plan that's going to be next to them or in their backyard. You know, I'm not saying that's always going to be the case. I just don't know that this is such a hindrance that we need to make this change now. Okay. Um, if, if there's more information as to why why this is necessary, I'd, I'd be interested to hear it. But I'd, I don't always think that doing things fast is a good thing. Being, doing things right is good. And we're ultimately responsible for those decisions in our government, whether we give them the authority now or whether we make the decision ourselves. And then, Be the July 26th meeting. July 26th meeting. Okay. Um, Councilor Stockton, I, I totally respect what you're saying. I'm going to do some research between now and next meeting, and I'm not, this isn't a, uh, in opposition to your, your sentiment. I just want to do my homework, and I'm trying to confuse myself. So I'm going to vote yes because if the first reading was the second reading, I probably would vote no, but I'm going to vote yes. Councilmember Stockton? No. Councilmember Ritchie? Yes. Councilmember Silva? Yes. And now I'll read yes. the ordinance. Oh, and Mayor Rollette, sorry. Yes. <laughs> ordinance adding subsection E to section 14.12.040.090 of the Vacaville Municipal Code delegating authority to the city engineer to enter into improvement agreements. Remember. And ask the council. So when when we motion and we second, there's still time on the question to ask the question. But when we roll into roll call, just roll the roll call. If you if you miss something or then you just vote no. And if we're going to put it down, I'm not trying to censor anyone. Just typically you go to roll call. You go to roll calls. There's a motion and a second. If it's on the question, you guys can have, ask questions. But as we enter into roll call, let's just stick to roll call. And if you're not feeling comfortable at that point, then you can vote no or yes or however you want to vote. But We'll just try to keep it clean. Okay, with that, we'll move to 9B, Mr. City Manager. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, members of the City Council. This next item is a resolution and the next step in the process for the levying of assessments for our landscape and lighting maintenance districts. Brian McLean, our Assistant Director of Public Works, is here for a brief presentation. Good evening, Mr. Mayor, Vice Mayor, and City Council. Brian McLean, City of Vacaville Public Works. The, uh, the city annually levies and collects special assessments for neighborhood parks, street landscaping areas, drainage and detention basins, open spaces, and street lighting. These assessments, uh, special assessments, are needed to maintain and operate the services and those improvements therein. The uh, special assessments were established under the Landscape and Lighting Act of 1972. 
Uh, in February of 2002, the City Council approved the, the resolution directing the preparation of that annual report. And at the last Council meeting, uh, Council granted preliminary approval of the engineer's report and set the public hearing for tonight's Council meeting. The engineer's report identifies 134 landscape and lighting district areas and by law, a maximum allow us, allowable assessment increase of 3% is factored into that 1972 Lighting and Landscape Act. With that said, based on analysis of each of the districts um, and their particular anticipated expenses for the coming year, plus any balance in that particular district, this year, 81 district levies will be increased, seven district levies will remain unchanged, 30 districts will be decreased, and 16 district levies will not be assessed because we do not anticipate to finish the improvements within those districts by the end of next fiscal year. As for environmental, this item is exempt from the California Environmental Quality Act, CEQA, and for fiscal impact and strategic goal. For the fiscal impact, for fiscal year 22-23, the total assessment amount is approximately $4.4 million. And the total general fund contribution is approximately 1.7 million, which consists of three parts as described in attachment A of the staff report. That first part is a 10% park district general citywide use contribution, and it equals about $411,000. The second part is $902,000 for select neighborhood park districts that are short even beyond that 10% original contribution. The final part is $444,000, which is to cover the select setback landscaping areas, lighting and detention basin district areas that are also in shortfall. As it relates to resolving the LLMD shortfalls and impact to the general fund, earlier this month, staff issued a request for proposals uh, to identify a contractor um, to take a look and do a feasibility study analysis uh, to help the city investigate our options and resolve this particular financial situation. I hope to be able to, our staff hopes to be able to bring back um, a, uh, an item for consideration for council at the next council meeting, July 26, um, to help us identify that uh, individual or that consulting firm and begin that process. The strategic goal is initiative 2B, uh, manage uh, impacts from growth, and initiative 4A, ensure fiscal sustainability. And the recommendation is by simple motion, adopt the subject resolution. And that concludes my presentation. Um, I'm available for any questions, as well as our consultant uh, with SCI Group, which is Jeanette Henson. Thank you. I'm gonna open up public comment. See no public comment. I'm going to close public comment. Bring it back to Councilmember Sullivan. Uh, thank you, Mayor. Uh, so this is probably a question for the City Manager. So Aaron, you and I have talked about um, some of the L and L districts in my particular district, and they're just really under the under the, the, the times. They're they're running a pretty uh, severe deficit. We're not really able to do a whole lot because the, the fees collected are just not much to do anything, right? So I'm sure those are probably included in that that big overage for the general fund. What, I mean, what sort of strategies or tools do we have to sort of redevelop um, kind of older parts of town with less desirable LMLs or, or areas that we're barely keeping up or it's kind of falling apart? And we, you used the term shrubs and grubs before, and 
you know, there's just a, a very clear um, feeling of, of uh, there's a big difference when you drive down certain streets in Vacaville than others. Is there a long-term strategy to sort of redevelop, re-enhance, re-invest in those? And I know based on the, what we're approving tonight, we don't have the funding to do that, but how do we get those streets up to par, up to snuff, looking like they should look? Is, is What would that strategy be? What would council need to start talking about to make something like that happen so we have that uniformly across town? Thank you, Councilmember Sullivan. So I think the, the we're actually starting to, to move in that direction, as, as Mr. McLean mentioned, with this new, uh, this new study that we're undertaking. One of the things that we want to do first is just really assess, you know, uh, the, the, the situation and where we're at financially and what we can and cannot do. Um, with that information, that they'll, the study's hopefully going to give us ideas and recommendations of some uh, alternatives to our current methodology. Um, the goal is to hopefully find alternative revenue sources potentially. If not, or if those uh, alternatives are, are uh, too cost prohibitive or just not um, really on the appetite of the city council, um, then we will have to explore other alternatives in terms of the different types of um, landscaping that we are putting in and maintaining. Um, but that will take another comprehensive look at it because, you know, the, the, the landscaping um, that you see out there was planted a long time ago. And it was done in accordance with approved plans and specs and everything. And, and our team has done a very good job of trying to maintain as best they can with the limited funds that we have. But um, we'd have to evaluate what's out there, what would be alternative planting plans. And that would take some time to put together, but our team could you know, explore doing that. So what I would suggest as we move forward with this next step with, um, that Mr. McLean has mentioned that we you know, sent the RFP out for, is get that process going see where that comes up, you know, what kind of answers that gives us. And then if we need to explore other options to minimize the different types of um, plant material or landscaping that we put out there, we can do that at that time as well as a follow-up. Yeah, I, I, I totally appreciate that. I got you. Go Thank, ahead. Thanks, Mayor. I, I totally appreciate I think there's probably just a few just high priority areas, right? So the, the kind of Peabody area, Nut Tree area, Alamo area, there's a couple blocks on, on all of those streets. They're just totally blighted. A lot of it is the design of the neighborhoods that we approved, you know, 40, 50 years ago with, with private fences on main thoroughfares. But again, it's just as we build more into the fence district in the south of Vacaville, the main thoroughfares that you have to go, go through just really look, they, they're aged, right? They, they need some love. And, and I think it really does, um, it doesn't do those neighborhoods justice or those, those parts of town that we're trying to improve and kind of boost up. So again, if we had some sort of way to call out specifically Peabody, Nut Tree, and Alamo in those kind of several block radiuses where it's really kind of needing a little extra rehab, that would be fantastic. I know the, the plans are the plans, but you know it really would tie the rest of town kind of together and kind of add some cohesion. So just, just wanted to add that on. I just, it, it's not all over town, but there are a couple key streets and blocks that really need a little extra love. I'm not sure how we do that with you know our, our growing deficit with the fees, but anything staff could do would be much appreciated. Want to move it? I have a motion. Do I have a second? I'll second. Roll call, please. Yes. 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 Councilmember Silva? Yes. Councilmember Wiley? Yes. Mayor Roulette? Yes. Okay. Item C, 9C, Mr. City Manager. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, members of the council. Uh, this next item is hopefully the final step in the process to adopt by resolution the city of Vacaville's development impact fees in, re um, in 
regard to AB 1600. We have a last minute substitution for our uh, fearless leader on this project, Ms. Gwen Owens, uh, Aaron Morris from our Community Development Department, and our consultant from EPS, Typhion Rice Evans, are here to make a presentation for this final step. Uh, thank you, Mayor Roulette and members of council. Um, Typhion and I are gonna tag team on this presentation, so I'm gonna let him kick it off and then I'll take it through the policy considerations. All right, thank you. Good evening, uh, Mayor, City Council members. Um, yeah, I'm just gonna give you a brief uh, background on, um, on the fee study, uh, show you the latest results and then pass it back over. Um, next slide, please. Um, so as you all remember, uh, in 1992, you developed your comprehensive development and impact fee study. You established fees for a number of important capital facilities. Um, uh, uh, types that you have up there on the board, police, fire, general facilities, parks and recreation, greenbelt preservation, transportation, water, sewer, and storm drain. Um, and that's basically we have taken the, the updated Nexus study you've seen and you have before you is basically an update, a comprehensive update, um, I guess now 30 years later to, to those fees. Um, you've seen, you've probably uh, perhaps seen more of me than would be ideal, but um, on, I, I've been back a few times, the city staff have also been presenting to you, but on February the 22nd, um, we did a kind of a broader study session on impact fees on May 10th. Uh, we made a presentation on the initial draft of the impact fee study and the Nexus study. Um, on May 24th, we came back and kind of, we'd heard a lot from stakeholders, we'd made some adjustments, um, and so we provided um, an update of the impact fee, um, and city staff also requested policy direction. Um, two weeks ago, we gave a kind of a presentation on the latest um, impact fee numbers for your, for your consideration and for your questions and had some further conversation about policy direction, and here we are today. Um, in terms of public outreach, I think you know there's been a, a lot of public outreach done by um, your city staff in particular, uh, a lot of our front meetings with the three engineering firms that do most of the projects in the city. Um, once we published the public review draft uh, and all the supporting documentation, a lot of documentation went up on your city websites, that was all available, and post the, the, that publication, we had a number of further conversations, city staff did in particular with uh, numerous different stakeholders. Um, the stakeholder feedback um, uh, fell into a few um, different buckets. On the transportation side, there were preferences to have um, certain transportation projects, California Drive Over Crossing and the Vacker Valley extension um, removed from the fee program, um, as well as adjustments to the Midway Road improvement. Uh, that were comments that the parks fee um, should be reduced. Um, a support for the concept of the removal of the CBC. Um, and finally, a generally kind of a support for the, the reorganization, if you will, of the fees to be um, reflective of housing size, uh, which is what's in the Nexus study. Um, so where do we end up? So in terms of the single family residential side of things, again, this is excluding um, the CBC. Um, you can see that the current fees are about $45,200 per unit for a single family home. Those would go up to about $53,000 uh, per unit um, under, the, under the new updated Nexus study, an increase of about 17%. Uh, we did want to point out, as we noted, that uh, one of the council's, I think, interests was to 
have fees uh, differentiated by size. And so here you can see that we will be referencing fees. In, in fact, the fees I just referenced were for kind of the median-sized homes of about 2,000 to 3,000 square feet. Um, as, you go, as you go into the smaller categories, the fees go down. As you go into the larger categories, they go up somewhat. So they do change um, with size. Uh, Multifamily uh, fees also adjusted. Um, a little bit smaller adjustment than on the single family side, about a 6% increase um, from 31,700 per unit to $33,500 per unit. On the commercial side, um, the, the, the fee increase was a little bit more substantial. It was about 80% um, increase from about $16,600 per thousand square feet of commercial development up to about $30,000 per thousand square feet of commercial development driven primarily by an increase in the transportation fee. Um, and then finally, I think on the industrial side, a, a more modest increase compared to the commercial side, about a 10% increase um, you can see up there from about $7,800 uh, per thousand square feet of industrial to about $8,600. Okay, and now I'm gonna walk the council through the policy decisions um, or discussions that we had at previous meetings and where we landed um, as staff's recommendations. So staff is recommending the community benefit contribution fee be removed. As proposed, we would initiate conversations with existing holders of development agreements over the next month or two and we'd work with them to do a modification to those existing agreements to remove the CBC and get that done by the end of the calendar year or sooner. Um, we, want, we also know we need to work on the incentives for target projects, uh, the projects that we're trying to make happen in our city. And so we'll begin work on that and we'll be bringing back the fee deferral program and the incentive program for council consideration and direction on September 20th. Um, part of the plan is to have a fee reduction for infill projects uh, within the Allison priority development area and the downtown specific plan priority development area. And so by the end of the year, we want to bring back actually a fairly comprehensive revision to chapter 11.1, uh, which has all of the details on the city's fee program, how it's administered, where there's flexibilities or reductions, et cetera. Um, we know we also we need to figure out how impact fee credits work and how people are reimbursed when they construct improvements um, that also benefit others. And that would be part of the revisions to 11.1 um, to be completed by the end of this calendar year. So one of the biggest um, sensitivities for the development community and, and frankly for everyone I think is how these new fees are, are phased in. And as Typhion highlighted, some of the fees are going up a lot, some of them are going up a little. And some of them are going down actually depending on the type of project. So what staff's proposing is that the updated residential fees should go fully into effect on July 1st of 2023. That gives the development community and others that build things in our community time to adjust to the new fees. But in the interim, that they should be allowed to choose which fee they pay. Because in some cases, the new fees are lower than the existing fees. In some cases, they're higher. So it's a little bit unique, but we're trying to be responsive to our community on that recommendation. Uh, the second type of fees broadly are the non-residential. That includes the commercial that are going up quite a bit and the industrial that are going up a little bit. So our recommendation is that these fee increases by and large get phased in over three years. So starting on July 1st of 2023, the fees go up by a third. Um, if they don't go up, they, they stay the same. Uh, but then the following year, another third, and then in year three, we get to the full, full recommended fee. So we feel like that's a way of phasing it in. And keep in mind, as a council, you'll be presented with an incentive program and a fee reduction program long before these fees start to go up. So you'll have a chance to, to tackle preferred projects. 
Uh, so with that, um, we are prepared to answer any questions you have. We have the experts that help prepare the studies that underpin this fee, um, this Nexus fee study, also on tap. But we are recommending that the council adopt a resolution approving the 2022 update to the development impact fee and authorize us to move forward. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the presentation. and Thank you for all the work that went in for that. Um, I'm going to open it up public comment first. Anybody wants to offer public comment? Seeing none, I'm going to close public comment. I'm going to bring it back to Councilmember Sullivan. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, two quick questions. Uh, first question is, is probably for the consultant team and, and Aaron. Um, do commercial or industrial fee sets ever include recreational or parks categories? Is that common, uncommon? Does it ever happen? Uh, yeah, it's, so it's, I wouldn't say it's common. I think that you know the, the, the history of most parks fee programs have been on residential. Uh, we have seen over the last 10 years, um, especially where you have a lot of parks that are close to new kind of office buildings, kind of job hubs, we have seen a bit of a move towards, in some cities, considering it and on occasion um, including it. Um, but it is still the kind of the minority, if you will, of, of cities that do so that. So quick, quick add on to that question. So as we move forward with the Lagoon Valley project, would we have the ability to uh, add any sort of add-on fees for preservation of the park, enhancements of the park, hiking trails, et cetera, et cetera, outside of this process today? Uh, the Lagoon Valley project is a subject of a development agreement, so it will not, we won't be able to impose additional requirements. There is, through the life of the development agreement, question um, is probably for the city manager. There was some concerns and comments, I think, from the Parks and Rec Commission about maybe some estimates being slightly under or something of the sort uh, from a few commissioners. I don't understand the full story. You and I talked briefly offline. Do you mind kind of summarizing kind of what the, the question was and kind of what the additional research steps will be for, for council and for the commission? Certainly. So um, it's my understanding that, you know, we, when we first came out with the, the draft report, there was a, a, a significant increase in the amount of the current park fee to the proposed park fee. Um, after that initial report came out, we did receive comments back from our stakeholders group um, about certain factors being incorporated into that larger fee amount that we should go back and explore. We did just that. Um, Ty Fion and his team and Gwen and her team met with our Parks and Rec Department, and we did realize that there was um, some values that we needed to update, and that did result in a lower fee. Um, I think because the fee was adjusted downwards, that um, some of our, you know, as I understand it secondhand, um, some of our parks commissioners were concerned that we were not able to fund um, everything that we needed to. Um, Typhion and his team have definitely checked the methodology and the appropriateness of the, of the um, approach, and it's, it's solid. We have to remind the, the um, folks that the new fee can only address new development. It can't go back and fix existing deficiencies, which was what some of the concerns I believe were addressed to. Another comment that was raised was about the uh, dollar amount included in um, the study. And, and we relied on the dollar value in the Parks and Rec Master Plan that was just recently approved. Um, there was some concern as to whether or not that that was, you know, the, the final best amount. And again, what we're using sometimes is, is averages and everything, but because the, the market is pretty volatile right now, what we're proposing to do is, is that, you know, pass 
we're hoping that the council will pass the fees tonight that we present to you. And then during the course of the next year, when we are um, implementing that and bringing it back for the annual review, if there's a need to make any adjustments to that, to that or any dollar value for that matter, we can do that at that time. Councilmember Stockton. Uh, yes, thank you for answering most of my questions, City Manager. Great question, um, Nolan. Um, so, if we're going to phase in these fees, can the council say we want to phase in parks first? Like we want that to happen yesterday, because I think the biggest, you know, one of the biggest calls, you know, or complaints or concerns that we get from the community is, hey, when's my park going to get built? Right. So. Um, I would really like to emphasize that if we're going to if we're going to kind of do a, um, a phase program that that park goes first. Um, I too was concerned about it going up and then down again um, because I really want to see the parks get built, and I think that um, I'm interested to hear, <coughs> definitely interested in hearing about turnkey parks and what kind of credits can be applied. I mean, I would love to super incentivize developers to build those parks. ASAP so that you know when people are looking to move into these developments and, and move to Vacaville that beautiful park already exists so um, uh, the other the I would like to second on um, the commercial developers or de commercial development contributing to some sort of park fee I mean there's been a huge emphasis I think on this council about the people who um, wanting people to live in Vacaville and work in Vacaville and so I think that's another opportunity that we can put some um, money in for the employees that we hope will live in Vacaville that, at, that work at some of these commercial facilities. So um, I uh, definitely agree with a phased in approach. I don't think that we should slam developers. Um, uh, if three years um, is the time that you guys suggest, I'm not opposed to it going longer if it needs to, but I want the park stuff back first. That's it. Council Member Wiley. Uh, thank you. And just remind me, I might have missed it at the very, very beginning. When was the last time these fees were uh, increased? Uh, it was 1992 when the fees were established. Okay, so 1992, and here we are in 22. So do we, and it was taking three years to phase them in, do we have some sort of a time limit, like, okay, after five years, we're going to look at them again? Do we have that set in place so that we don't find ourselves in the same position? Uh, there is a requirement that we look at our fees every five years. As proposed, we're saying we want to look at our parks fee specifically during the course of this next year, just given the volatility of the construction cost, land cost, uh, supply chain, all that stuff. But we would be proposing to come back on a regular every five-year cycle once we get this one done. So was that five-year cycle a requirement for the last 15 years? Or did uh, it just start? Uh, well, I think five years was the was the ideal, but many cities did, um, as you as you can see, did did not did not make it. Um, th there is a new bill that just passed this year that now says, um, and I don't know what happens if you don't, but it says you have to do it um, at least every eight years, with five years still being the preference. So I think you have a little wiggle room there if if needed. So that was just passed this year, then. That, yeah. Because at a, a recent Cal Cities thing that came up, the person asked how many cities have updated theirs. Hardly anyone raised their hand, so we're not the only ones that are behind the eight ball, but I just wondered when that came into heat. And then the other thing was, at the last city council meeting, um, council member Sullivan and myself both talked about we didn't want to take the California drive out 
And I know that, that that was something the developers were asked about. So that's not getting changed. Is that correct? That that's correct. It's still in there. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Just just clarification. All right. Do you want to jump in now, or? Oh, if that's okay, or I can wait. I just wanted to thank. Let me Clark. grab uh, yeah. Councilmember Ritchie. Thank you for all your hard work. That's amazing. Uh, I just appreciate. I, I won't talk about the parks. I think we we're all kind of in, in agreement. Like you know, parks are important for the growth. Um, so you guys heard enough of that. Uh, but uh, I just really appreciate you guys really understanding here. It's a lot of clear about this. The phasing of the size of the SFR. It's two units, three units, four units. Um, if we're if we're ever going to achieve like the renewal numbers or we need to help kind of relieve this pressure valve of housing in California and in Vacaville. It's a big step in the right direction to have a thousand per feet or less, have a, a less fee. Um, like last night, I was just thinking as I was reading this again. Um, I, I grew up in back all over, all over every single street. I feel like um, I, at the average home I lived in was an orchard area. Um, I grew up in a house, 800 square feet. Um, yeah, it, it's amazing to try to incentivize developers to get back to where we don't need 3,000 square feet houses. It's fun, it's great, but it's lots of clean, but I mean, there is a need for 500 square foot homes, and I wish we could incentivize um, people to build and lower the cost to construct, allow people to get home ownership faster. So it's a big step in the right direction. So I really appreciate you guys listening to us and, and allowing developers to hear the message like, hey, um, work back, we'll, we'll make it easy for you guys, and reduce fees, but give us what we want, need, and we'll all win. Thank you. Okay. Okay, great. I just wanted to clarify for the record and for the action that the recommendation, and staff can correct me if I'm wrong, the recommendation to remove the CBC from the development agreements does not apply to the Lagoon Valley Development Agreement. That's correct. Okay. Thank you. I'll entertain motion. I make a motion to violate. Thank you. Roll call vote, please. I got your microphone. Go ahead. Vice Mayor Roberts? Yes. Councilmember Sullivan? Yes. Councilmember Stockton? Yes. Councilmember Ritchie? Yes. Councilmember Silva? Yes. Councilmember Wiley? <laughs> yes. Mayor Roulette? Aye. Okay, we'll move to item 10, business A. Mr. City Manager. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, members of the City Council. It is with uh, great pleasure that I bring this item to you. After lots and lots of work, we are bringing forward an item that was on uh, the City Council's strategic plan priority list. Uh, so tonight we have for you a report, and we're hoping you will uh, review and approve the comprehensive housing strategy. Emily Cantu, our Housing and Community Services Director, and the consulting team are here tonight to present the report to you. Thank you. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thank you very much. Good evening, Mayor, Vice Mayor, and Council Members. We are very happy to be here this evening to present the comprehensive housing strategy. Um, this was implemented by the city council in support, as the uh, city manager said, in support of the strategic plan. Um, this addresses the community's desire and the council's desire to promote multiple forms of rental and home ownership housing, remove barriers, and generate new ways to support affordable housing. With that very brief introduction, we have a nice presentation for you. I'm gonna pass it to Amy Sharp with Economic Planning Systems. Thank you, Emily. Um, 
Good evening, uh, Mayor and Council Members. My name is Amy Lappin, and I'm a principal. That's okay. <laughs> I'm a principal with Economic and Planning Systems. You just heard from my my colleague Typhian on some uh, some related issues. Um, but tonight, I'll be reviewing the comprehensive housing analysis and strategy that we um, prepared over the last several months. Tonight, I'm going to review the project, review the key findings, and then review the detailed housing goals, strategies, and implementation actions. Um, the report is quite substantial. Not sure if you had a chance to review it, um, but I'm going to try and fit a lot of material into a about 20-minute presentation. So. If you have any questions um, as I'm going through the presentation, please jump in or we'll have time at the end of the presentation to ask questions. So first, an introduction to the consulting team. Uh, EPS was the prime consultant and we uh, collaborated with Placeworks. I have um, the EPS project manager here with me tonight, Kato Byrne. Um, and together we collaborated on most of the technical analyses completed for this housing strategy. We also, I also want to acknowledge the uh, city staff that we worked closely with. Um, we worked with, uh, obviously, Emily, <laughs> and we also worked with the community development director, uh, Aaron Morris, as well as Tyra Hayes, who was overseeing the housing element. Um, and we worked with the economic development director, Don Burris. So the housing uh, strategy and analysis is a comprehensive strategy to address housing needs, both current and projected future, future housing needs. We had a series of uh, study objectives related to uh, key questions that were asked in response to the city's strategic plan to provide a diversity of housing for all. The team addressed a series of key questions that would help the city understand socioeconomic and residential real estate trends and conditions, barriers and gaps in needed housing types, and projected housing demand. The housing strategy aimed to draw upon these analyses as well as input from the community to develop a comprehensive set of goals, strategies, and implementation actions to help the city meet its housing needs. The, city, uh, the study was conducted in parallel with the housing element, uh, which is currently being conducted by Placeworks and is intended to serve as a resource both to the community and for the housing element. So we commenced the project in November of last year um, and finalized it in June. And you can see that we had a number of different uh, key milestones over the course of the last eight months, um, including a robust um, outreach effort, as well as a 
council study session with you in January. Um, and then a variety of technical analyses, including looking at the socioeconomic conditions, um, gaps and barriers to needed housing development, um, housing uh, growth uh, and demand, and then preparing the comprehensive strategy. So a little bit more about the outreach efforts uh, that were um, intended to engage and educate the community. Um, we held a developer meeting in November of last year um, and invited both affordable and market rate uh, residential developers. We had 15 participants. Um, we uh, held two community workshops, one in November and one in February, and those were held both in English and Spanish. We also opened up an online survey that aimed to ask the community about uh, various housing needs and gaps um, in, the in the city's uh, housing stock. And that online survey was available to respond to from November to February. And that was also available in English and Spanish. And then as I mentioned, um, we held a study session with council in January, and we also conducted interviews with city staff uh, mentioned previously. So I'm gonna go through uh, some of the key findings from the technical analyses really quickly. Um, so this, the city is uh, a community of just under 100,000 residents and is the third largest community in Solano County following Fairfield and Vallejo. Um, with access to job markets in the Bay Area and the Sacramento Valley and a growing life science sector, the city is well positioned to continue this growth. Over the last decade, the city's population has consistently grown in line with growth rates in the county and has become more racially diverse uh, with significant growth in the city's Latino and Asian populations. Mirroring national trends over the last decade, a large proportion of the population surpassed the age of 55 and about one fifth of the, of the city's population is in their prime household formation years. Um, ages 20 to 34, the age when many people start buying or renting their first homes. The city's median household income is slightly higher than the county with a modest amount of growth over the last decade. And there was a decline in the city's poverty rate. Like elsewhere in the state and throughout the US, rents are rising rapidly. In the city, about half of all renters are considered rent burdened which means that they pay more than 30% of their household income on housing costs. And also related to uh, the city's labor force and job market, um, the city experience, experiences a net outflow flow of workers with nearly 80% of the city's labor force commuting to jobs outside of the city with the remainder employed at jobs in the city. Relatedly, almost three quarters of jobs in the city are employed by non-city residents. And I just wanna mention that the um, top industries for both the labor force and jobs in the city are identical. So healthcare and social assistance and retail trade are the top two industries for both. And so this mismatch may imply uh, uh, a, a differential in wages and or housing costs. Most city residents are homeowners living in single family homes in the city. 
The predominant housing type uh, is single family uh, detached residential. Although there was a modest, modestly increasing amount of multifamily projects in the city. Although Vacaville has produced more housing compared to other neighboring jurisdictions, the dynamics of the housing market are regional. While Vacaville cannot influence increased housing production in neighboring jurisdictions, the city's emphasis on facilitating increased housing production, in particular with the production of a diversity of housing types uh, to serve a range of populations and incomes can help offset increased demand and price growth in the city and the larger region. So based on the outreach uh, with various stakeholders, we identified several key housing gaps in the city that primarily uh, comprise affordable and integrated housing types and communities. These gaps in housing types most prominently affect underserved populations, including students, teachers, young families, low-income uh, individuals and families, seniors, people with disabilities, and the unhoused population. Uh, specifically, we found that there's a lack of smaller and attached housing types, as you were just mentioning, um, that we've termed the missing middle. This includes housing types such as attached townhomes, condominiums, duplexes, triplexes, fourplexes, and courtyard type buildings. These housing types tend to be more affordable by design than a single family house and can provide both ownership and rental opportunities. Missing middle housing types can also encompass unique tenancy or financing arrangements such as co-housing or housing with shared spaces, co-op housing, cooperative housing, or rent to own units. We also found missing housing types included mixed use um, which include a mix of residential, commercial, public, and other compatible uses, either in a vertical or horizontal configuration. Senior housing, based on the city's aging population, uh, which can include a variety of housing types, ranging from assisted living facilities, intergenerational housing or neighborhoods, accessory and junior accessory dwelling units, and shared housing types. And then transitional and supportive housing with transitional housing reflecting housing designated for homeless individuals and families who are transitioning to permanent housing and supportive housing, meaning permanent uh, rental housing complemented by a range of support services designed to help residents maintain stable housing. Also in our communication with the economic development uh, department, um, we identified a lack of executive style housing uh, needed to attract executive workers, both currently and in the future. We also, as I mentioned, identified a number of barriers to creating needed housing, including uh, various city and state regulatory requirements, development and building fees, the uh, city's permitting timeframe, and insufficient local subsidies, and or difficulty in identifying and imply, applying for federal and state funding. In terms of uh, supply and demand, our projected residential growth, we estimated that the city is anticipated to need about 2,900 residential units uh, over the next decade approximately through 2031 uh, based on the city's projected regional housing needs allocation 
and historical growth. This level of growth translates into an average annual growth of about 324 units over the next nine years per year. The city's residential supply pipeline indicates nearly double the number of units are currently under construction or approved um, related to this uh, uh, demand figure of 2,900 with nearly 90% of those units proposed as single family detached units. Based on a continuation of the city's current proportion of housing types, the supply represents more than double the demand for single family homes, but only 75% of the demand for multifamily homes. However, based on uh, the income characteristics of existing and projected households, this demand translates into a need for more than 1,200 affordable housing units serving very low and low income households and 1,700 market rate uh, units serving moderate and above moderate uh, income households. And just a note on the housing element, since I mentioned it before, although EPS or uh, this team of EPS and PlaceWorks is not um, overseeing the housing element. I just wanted to remind you, as you may know, it is a required general plan element uh, that is reviewed and certified by the state. Um, and it accommodates the city's fair share of regional housing over the period of January 2023 through January 2031. Recent milestones, um, again, this is being prepared by PlaceWorks. Uh, recent milestones include um, an administrative draft regional housing needs assessment that was completed and reviewed by staff and an administrative draft regional and local assessment of fair housing uh, that is currently under review by staff. With the next steps being that a admin draft housing element will be submitted to staff in July and the public review draft housing element is anticipated to be released in August. And with that, um, I'm gonna dive into the housing strategy. And before I talk about the details of the housing uh, goals, uh, strategies and implementation actions, I wanted to note um, that the city does not build housing, nor does it control local market dynamics. However, the city can take many steps to help increase the overall production and encourage a di diversity of housing types by ensuring that enough land is zoned for residential development uh, by type, making it easier and cheaper to build housing and incentivizing the types of housing that are both underrepresented and the highest in demand to meet uh, the socioeconomic characteristics of existing and projected future residents. So the proposed strategy is the culmination of the technical analyses that I described earlier, as well as the community input and the uh, interviews with city staff. As a result, the EPS team has prepared a housing strategy to meet um, three overarching goals. Um, goal one is to encourage a diversity of housing choices. Goal two is to address uh, regulatory and financial barriers to needed housing production. And goal three is to create new initiatives and programs to address housing needs. I also wanted to mention that um, I'm gonna be presenting the, the goals and the strategies and the implementa implementation actions over the next 12 slides. Um, so those will walk through the details 
of each of the, of, uh, the strategies and actions. And all actions are, are organized by an expected uh, implementation timeline per um, coordination with staff um, and include near-term strategies um, which are anticipated to be implemented or recommended to be implemented over the next one to two years, midterm strategies over the next two to five years, and longer-term strategies over the next five to ten years. There's a table in your packet labeled Table 1-1 uh, um, in your packet as well as in the um, study report um, that provides a summary of everything that I'm going to be reviewing right now. So under the first goal, the first strategy, first near-term strategy is to encourage or require a diversity of housing types in individual development projects. Led by the Community Development Department and potentially partnering with private residential developers, we have identified a series of actions to implement this strategy, including identifying targeted quantities of specific desired housing types to be constructed in projects, including two, three, and four plexes and other missing housing types that I just reviewed. Uh, convening a working group composed of representatives from the residential development community to discuss feasibility issues and incentives that may be needed to construct these prototypes, not typically constructed in the city. And then updating planning regulations to encourage or require new subdivisions to include missing housing types. Funding for these efforts were identified as existing staff time or an additional appropriation to the Community Development Department to fund additional staffing capacity. Strategy 1.2 is to facilitate the increased construction of accessory dwelling units or junior accessory dwelling units. Led by the Community Development and Housing and Community Services Departments, with potential support from the California Housing Finance Agency. Implementation actions needed to support this strategy include soliciting input from the community and otherwise identifying ways to streamline the permitting process for these types of applications. Working with finance, the finance department to potentially retain consulting services to evaluate the feasibility of reducing or waiving certain permitting fees to lower overall cost to produce this housing type. Working with uh, the information technology department to create a user-friendly page on the city's website to convey incentives and financial and technical resources, including permit-ready design templates to support ADUs and JADUs. And conducting research on existing financing programs for example, through CalHFA, um, for grant financing, um, as well as other jurisdictional programs um, that have programs that the city would like to uh, model. The third strategy under goal one is to provide information to bolster community support related to the range of missing housing types in the city led by the Housing and Community Services City Manager and Public Relations Departments, with potential support from consultants and residential developers. Implementation actions including, include identifying city capacity or intention to retain consulting services 
to implement an outreach program to conduct information sessions with city staff, city council, and the community on various housing topics with the intent of bolstering community support for affordable and other needed housing. Developing a comprehensive outreach program consisting of a series of forums to convey the need for a diversity of housing types, solicit input and concerns from the community, and provide information regarding uh, residential development costs. Identifying the scope of the outreach program, including the quantity and type of meetings and other methods of communicating information. The fourth strategy under goal one is to provide incentives to, to support the development of missing housing types in the city. Uh, this is a midterm strategy, although it sounds like through the development impact um, fee update, there will be some related incentives um, that could dovetail nicely with this strategy. So in our housing study report, we identify a number of incentives that could be implemented um, to plan for and encourage the construction of missing housing types. Examples include proactively identifying sites in the city, securing direct funding through federal, state, and regional grants, uh, donating or allowing deferred payment to purchase city-owned land or pri to private developers to address feasibility challenges, expediting permit review, implementing fee reductions or waivers as discussed earlier, and other incentives as identified by the city. I'll also mention that the city's uh, 2021 downtown specific plan includes some regulatory incentives focused on increased density and intensity standards, and that the city could consider some of those incentives um, in other areas of the city or citywide. So goal two is to address barriers to needed housing production there are the next four slides describe strategies proposed to address these barriers and include three near-term strategies, one midterm strategy and one long-term strategy. The first strategy is to encourage infill development with implementation actions, including identifying residential development capacity totals in infill locations, securing state and federal funding, also, uh, excuse me, for the purpose of evaluating infrastructure constraints related to uh, infill development. In conjunction with uh, strategy 1.1, utilizing the working group of residential developers to discuss and resolve impediments to infill construction and identifying facilitating uh, through capital improvement plan updates, prioritize needed infrastructure improvements to support infill development. Strategy 2.2 is to allow developers the opportunity to provide creative solutions where feasible that could result in reductions in parking requirements. As an implementation action, community development staff could proactively determine a menu of options that would be available to developers to reduce city's parking requirements if feasibility or other constraints are properly documented. Creative solutions may include supplemental transit passes, <coughs> increased bicycle parking, a shared vehicles program, or other solutions agreed upon by the city and the developers. Strategy 2.3 is a, is a near-term strategy to address barriers associated with development fees to support increased housing development. 
Um, I think the, the council took uh, one, one implementation action step tonight by um, addressing fees that are differentiated by housing size. That was one of the recommendations included. Um, also in conjunction with uh, organizing that residential developer group, um, housing and community services and community, community development um, could potentially retain consulting service to evaluate services to evaluate the feasibility of reducing or waiving certain permitting fees to lower overall costs uh, to produce needed affordable housing infill projects and other targeted missing housing types. The city should add all development uh, related fee requirements uh, to the city's website including the community be benefit contribution fee and the benefit district fee, which are not clearly shown currently on the city's typical fee schedule. That was one of the um, feedback uh, input from the developer meeting. Our remaining strategies under goal two are to consider increasing maximum, minimum and maximum allowable densities and zoning requirements PlaceWorks conducted a comprehensive review of existing um, regulations and standards, uh, development standards, and have a series of recommendations in the report that I'm not gonna go through um, during this presentation. Um, and then the, the last uh, strategy is a long-term strategy, which is to consider whether the permitted uses and boundaries of the Nut Tree Airport compatibility zones can be reevaluated to accommodate additional housing. Uh, I will mention that most of the zones do allow housing, but one of the zones does not. Uh, so the city should consider working with the Airport Land Use Commission to study whether the boundaries can be revised or if residential uses can be permitted to allow additional capacity. Goal three was to create new initiatives and programs to support needed housing types. The final four slides in this presentation describe strategies to create new initiatives and programs to address housing needs and include two near-term strategies and four mid-term strategies. The first near-term strategy is to create a new city staff position to serve as a centralized housing services coordinator for the city. Led by the, the Housing and Community Services Department, Implementation actions could include preparing and presenting for council approval of a business case for a new staffing position, including a detailed job description, required and desired qualifications, and a total compensation and benefits package. And then should the new position be approved, the Housing and Community Services Department would, clear, uh, would identify ongoing uh, annual housing targets and funding objectives and oversee the new position's duties, which may include evaluating infrastructure, financial feasibility, and other challenges facing development of needed housing, advancing solutions to identified challenges, maintaining an inventory of available sites for each needed housing type, recruiting developers to develop these specific needed housing types, securing and packaging funding for affordable housing projects, providing technical assistance to homeowners and landowners who seek to build needed housing types like ADUs, and pursuing partnerships to build housing 
including partnerships with the California Community Housing Agency and HCD's pro-housing designation program. The second uh, near-term strategy under goal three is to continue to focus on opportunities to streamline the permitting process. Implementation actions uh, could include soliciting input from city staff, residential developers, and the community to identify ways to streamline the process um, and to conduct research on best practices from other cities. Midterm strategies under this goal are to consider completing a city-sponsored and funded CEQA analysis to clear uh, desired infill sites and to consider an inclusion, inclusionary housing ordinance that requires a certain percentage of housing to be included in every project to meet low, very low, low and moderate income levels. The final strategies under goal three are to consider creating local housing construction funding sources to assist in funding needed housing. And uh, strategy 3.6, the final strategy is to consider creating supportive housing related programs for underserved populations, details of which are described in the, in the study. And with that, I'll just reiterate um, the uh, potential council actions for this evening, which could be to approve some, but on, not all of the goals and strategic action items in the housing strategy, to approve all goals and strategic action items, or not receive or approve the housing strategy. And with that, I will open it up. I'm gonna open up public comment. Seeing no public comment. Close public comment. Bring it back to Council Member Sullivan. Thank you, Mary. I appreciate it. Um, I got lots of comments and notes here. Um, so first and foremost, staff and consultant team A plus. I think you guys did a really good job. I think knocked it out of the park. Um, incorporated all sorts of comments that we've been talking about for years. So really, really solid start. Thank you. Um, very, very um, impressed. Uh, the first comment I have. Um, I, I'd really like to speed up items 3.4, 3.5, and 3.6. I think two to five years is too long. I think we have pretty much expended our entire fund for low-income housing um, on the, the Allison apartments, and we need to build that sooner than later. I, I know my expectations, and the city manager tells me this all the time, are sometimes a little too quick, um, but I think two to five years for starting those funding sources and, and funding types and, and adding low-income units on new developments, it's way too long. Um, we needed that, you know, y yesterday. So I would, I would bump that up in the. Pro I know that we need resources and things for that, and I'm, I'm going to get to that in a second. But those two to five years is too long. Maybe one to two years on those those three items. Um, one thing we don't cover in the presentation or in the backup documents, from from what I gleaned, um, is equal distribution of housing types. And so again, we over concentrate high density housing. We over concentrate low income housing. We over-concentrate senior housing in two particular neighborhoods in two particular districts in Vacaville. That is not okay any longer. It needs to be spread out across town. I'd love to see equal distribution of high density, low income, and senior projects across all of Vacaville. In my opinion, every district should have their share. Uh, low income folks, senior folks, don't just come from, the, from my neighborhood or Mike Silva's neighborhood. They come from all over town, and it, it's, we, we need to spread those out. Um, and so I'd like to see a section somewhere talking about equity and kind of addressing things uh, with equal distribution across town, if, if that's a possibility. Um, 
kind of sort of maybe touched on this a little bit. Uh, whenever we have multifamily or higher density projects and a larger uh, plan, what happens in my experience is that the developer will build all the single family first. They'll leave the multifamily for the end. Uh, by the time the multifamily is ready to be built, uh, all the residents come down, they're pissed off, they have their <coughs> you know, pitchforks and their torches and they're angry, they don't want those apartments, they're that high density in their neighborhood. Totally get it, but I think if we built the high density first and then they bought their house knowing there was high density there because it's already built, it's a little more easy for them to, um, to, to digest that situation. So I really think the building order, especially in our larger plans, when it includes high density as it should, especially if we're including low income components, absolutely needs to be built first if we have any say in that, because otherwise what's gonna happen is you're gonna have these plans, we build all the houses first, the residents come down and scream at us, we pull the high density out time and time again. I've seen that happen several times in Vacaville and we need to stop doing that. It's a developer trick and it's we, we need to address it somehow. So I don't know if that can be included in the plan in some way, shape or form. Again, we have a project right now in, in District 6 where this is gonna happen and people are rightfully angry, but we'll never get the housing goals we need if we don't um, kind of address that. I didn't see anything for eviction prevention. I know it's not necessarily um, part of a housing strategy, but again, if we prevent people from being evicted, it totally de-escalates and exacerbates isn't really a word but it, it it makes our situation easier right and so again you know the emerging thought with homeless services with low-income housing services is that if you put half of your efforts or more into eviction prevention it makes the the downstream so much easier so I don't know if there is a nexus or it's even appropriate for this study I do think that's a big missing chunk of the puzzle for the city of Vacaville so I'd like to see that addressed somewhere um, Emily, I think you have a thousand hats. I don't want to add a hundred more hats to you. So my question to you and probably the city manager is do we have the staff and resources to do this? The council really is serious about this and wants to put some gas on this. I don't want to add a 75th task to Emily's team's list. I want to make sure we have the resources, the tools, the abilities to get it done. So I think what I would ask the city manager is that you know, this council has been pretty clear. This is a top priority for us. I think you know whether we need more staffing, we need to add consultants, we need to add resources. I think we need to seriously address that. I don't just want to add this onto an existing team that's already kind of kind of over their heads with work. So, however, that needs to come back to us. I would assume we probably need to add more than a single FT, which the study requested, but it's something I'd like to see, you know, full steam ahead. If we need to add a team, I think we need to do that. Um, I didn't see in the density section that we're talking about height either. So, Vacaville, if you build something over two stories, we freak out that's gotta change. I mean, land's a finite resource, so I don't know if we add a height section to the density section, or maybe I missed it, um, but in, including uh, increasing density, I think we're gonna have to go taller. We're seeing that with the Allison Apartments and some other stuff too. I just think that's a necessity. Um, I, I keep hearing uh, Princess Leia say, Obi-Wan, you're our only hope. So Don Burris, you're our only hope on this one. Um, the commute patterns are devastating. There's so many people leaving Vacaville on a day-to-day -day basis, and so many people coming in from out of town. That's so much, traffic and people on the freeway and time away from families. So again, just seeing the data in the presentation really highlights the sheer amount of people leaving town every morning to go to work, people coming in from out of town to go to work. So Don, you're, you're our only hope, save us and bring those big jobs here to town. Uh, just whenever I see that data, it is depressing, right? It's, you know, again, it's carbon footprint, it's time away from your families. We've got to figure out a way to create local jobs for people to live here. I'm not sure how we fix that or flex that, but again, the data you presented really shows that. Um, my last two points is I do think, um, and you talk about this a lot in the study, the increasing demographic of our aging population, I think in Vacaville in particular, that's probably uh, a little more heightened than other places. I would like to see a specific senior call out, not just in Leisure Town, 
I think folks really are aging in place. I love that you call that a strategy to help folks move out of their big single family homes into something that, and I think that's a big part of the puzzle in Vacaville. So maybe a separate little call out or senior focus would be, would be kind of helpful. And then my last comment is actually a question is, will the planning commission get a chance to, to have this presentation as well? I think we have some planning commissioners with some brilliant ideas that might have some good feedback. Is this going to planning too, or is this just coming to us? Yeah, I'd say at this time, it's not in the scope of the economic planning systems contract, but um, Aaron and I could certainly work on you know, appropriate time and uh, the ability to bring it there. Awesome, I think it might be worth a pass through them as well. I think they'll, they'll have some good feedback and good input. Um, but anyways, uh, A plus, I think staff have really been listening. I'm very happy with the report. Um, sorry for all the comments, I'm very excited about it. But this is a huge thing for Vacville, and I think um, this is really charting a, a great course for us over the next 10 or 20 years. So great, great job, Dean. Councilmember Wiley. Uh, thank you for the presentation. And I, I understand there's a lag time with data because when you're looking at data, it's already passed. But, you know, because we have this pandemic, it'll look like I think a lot of this uh, beginning information was from 2019 and the poverty's going down and the education's going up and it paints a pretty rosy picture. And I just don't know how has the pandemic, which isn't really in here at all, really changed things. So that's my question. I don't know the poverty's going down. Um, I don't know if you have an answer for that or if we just have to wait till we get the data to say, yeah, poverty's going down. <laughs> I mean, going up instead of down. Unfortunately, a lot of the socioeconomic characteristics that are captured in this study are still not, have not been released um, by the U.S. Census. That would be the 2020 U.S. Census. Mm -hmm. And if you're following U.S. Census news, um, there have been some challenges based on the pandemic with data collection efforts. So as we're, we're finding, even in the data that has been released, there are some challenges. Um, so I, I can't, <laughs> data limitations doesn't allow me to answer that correctly, but I think, you know, there's been enough um, news articles and anecdotal information to confirm that, you know, for some um, populations, their personal economic conditions have worsened. And then you pair that with So it just really, I'm not even sure it's as rosy as it looks. So that was my first comment. And then secondly, on strategy one, 1.2, you talked about the ADUs and encouraging ADUs. Um, but then when I was looking at the sheet that the community uh, responded to, and I know there were 133 responses, which is good, but that's certainly not many when you look at the whole account. Right. Because encouraging ADUs was just like 14%. Um, but then I guess that feeds really into your next strategy, 1.3, which is bolster community support, and get the information out there. So I kind of see those went hand in hand. Um, so basically, um, on my third, my third comment is just, I am relatively new to city council and just this whole business of things. I live in dis District 6 where things have been being built you know, ever since I've been there 30 years ago, and I've watched, you know, neighborhoods go in go in. So what is kind of an average length of time between the plan and the people moving in for housing in Vacaville? 
I'm just to clarify, you mean for a specific, like a subdivision or an apartment complex? Right, all these things, you know, we're building this, we're building project. this, we're building this, and then, you know, well, this has to wait for this, and this is, you know, everything takes so long. So just, if someone comes to the city and says, here's what I want to build, and then we have people moving into that place, what's, the, what's an average length of time for that, besides Lagoon Valley? <laughs> so. Well, my experience is somewhat limited um, in that my expertise is affordable housing and that does take a little bit longer because of the financing pieces that we've been talking about as projects have come forward to the city council and those can take, you know, two, three, five years um, from um, the initial project concept and approval, finding the financing, building it and having people move in. And if I could defer on more private projects. So, again, it depends on where you start. Mm -hmm. Because if you start with um, our specific plan projects that you find on the east side of Leisure Town, for example, those specific plan projects can take anywhere from one to two to three years just to get that specific plan document. Then once you have that paper project, then you, it can go a number of different ways. You can have a builder that's doing the entire specific plan or that property owner will sell off you know, pieces of residential land uh, to be subdivided and developed by future home builders. So it, it can vary greatly. Um, but I'd say on average, you know, what I would see the type of development that we have here in Vacaville, um, probably anywhere from five to 10 years from planning stage to, you know, um, opening the door for a new, new home buyer. But again, there's a lot that happens between that time. Once a specific plan is approved, and once you know we go through those processes that we talked earlier about tonight, you know the final map and the subdivision improvement agreement and everything, that's pretty quick because now you have a home builder that is sees the need in the market, comes in, and once they have the lots approved in a, in a tentative map, uh, that happens very quickly. So, like in District Six and several other districts, where we talk about these things are all in the process, and they have been in the process you know for quite some time. So to actually meet the needs of Vacaville and fix the, mix, the missing middle is a long process. But I, I guess I'm just glad that we are starting on that process and that you have a council that wants to do that for Vacaville. So we're not just so many single family homes across town. <laughs> well, if I could just jump in real quickly, just to give some um, hope um, is, is that, you know, right now we have two great opportunities for missing middle projects. And one is the Green Tree Specific Plan, which is currently underway. It will be coming to City Council here shortly this year um, for um, the approval of the master plan, the specific plan. So then, um, then from there, it just gets into the mapping stages and so forth. So the, the heavy lifting will have been completed. The other bigger one, it's not on the same size and magnitude as, as a specific plan, but it's our downtown specific plan where we have many opportunities for probably hundreds of units of missing middle, little pieces here and there, if you, if you will, but albeit you, when you add them all up together, there's 700 units or so in there. Um, and because um, the, the document includes those um, desires, you know, um, that the city council asked from us, uh, we streamlined that process. If you recall, we had, you know, different prototypes already pre-designed, approved, so that if a developer comes in and says, I want to meet this criteria that's in a specific plan, they go straight to, you know, to plan check and construction. So um, there's a lot of positive things that we're putting together that go right in line with this, this housing strategy recommendations. Okay, thanks for the good news. Councilmember Stockton. 
Yes, thank you for putting together a wonderful uh, strategy with some great um, solutions and some things that we can work on on our end because we are limited in our scope with, with this. I'd like a motion that we approve. All right, I'll second. Roll call. Question. Silver? Yeah, so uh, kind of going back to uh, Councilmember Sullivan's point about um, the topic of quote-unquote concentrating poverty. <clears throat> so I, I didn't quite catch where in there uh, we define that or where we put an idea or what that really looks like uh, for our city. Is that something that will be included within the strategy or something else, some other document? Um, Councilmember Sullivan and your comment are that it's not specifically addressed in the strategy. Um, so staff has taken um, note of all the comments um, received and that way we can address um, those um, requests of the council as well, those things that were missed in the strategy. And I, I say that because the um, strategy is complete, the contract is, is, they're about wrapped up so staff can take it from here and continue addressing the council's concerns and requests and make sure those are incorporated into our implementation strategies as we move forward. And when would that come about? Well, so, um, some items will return to council for approval over time. So um, if approved this evening, um, staff is gonna regroup with a meeting and discuss timelines, implementation, who's taking the lead on which items so we can get those before you um, as quickly as possible after also analyzing our resource needs. And, and if I could just jump uh, in, council member, if I could just jump in and add, this is Aaron. Um, I think the other thing that we, the other tool that we have that's still yet in the, in the process is our housing element. And I don't know just exactly how far we can go with the housing element because that is definitely a, a, a more uh, structured document, if you will, because the state you know, review of it. But I think you know, in terms of incorporating other opportunities in the housing strategy, um, coordinating very closely with our housing element update that is coming to you later this year, um, we can certainly incorporate anything that's lacking here in between the two and bring that back to council for discussion as part of that um, dialogue. So what, thank you, what does the consultant say regarding maybe some type of ratio or what, what, what where are we looking at as far as a, a numbers uh, perspective or a, a balance on how do we build a healthy, um, more, uh, more healthy, uh, so to speak, and I, I use health as a, a broad spectrum, not just from a, a medical perspective, uh, but how do we, so, so as we're looking at within the strategy, implementing these strategies as we move forward, um, you know, what are some key things that we should look at as far as creating a, a maybe a, a quote unquote better balance? Um, and just bear with me for 30 seconds uh, or less. Uh, you know, I've been uh, torn some different parts of um, of our of our neighboring countries and seeing um, a lot of the, the disparities that exist and a lot of things and a lot of efforts that have been implemented to actually uh, unite and increase more access to uh, build bridges between a lot of those disparities that, that exist. So I'm kind of curious to see uh, where, you know, uh, trying to get um, that uh, added input or uh, extra value added from this particular process. Are there any comments that can be made on, on that uh, for us to look out for it as we, as the city manager
I just suggest as we move forward. I didn't hear the specific question that he's asking, but I did want to mention that in the report, there is a, a map um, that's described uh, starting on page 55, and the map itself is on page 56. And it shows, at least it serves as a resource. It's, it shows uh, the, the geographic location of affordable, existing affordable, senior affordable, um, assisted living and senior apartment units in, in the city. Uh, so staff could use that as a resource to start identifying ways to more equitably distribute, distribute those types of housing projects. But that's within the city rather than within perhaps neighborhoods or development projects. Am I, is that correct? Am I correct or correct me where I'm wrong? So I yeah. guess the, the question is, as we continue to, you know, today's meetings a lot about the, the topic, um, what, you know, what are some key things that we should look out to, of how we create a balance uh, to ensure that there's, uh, uh, you know, a, a closer approach to diversity based on um, what citizens are looking for and how we continue to build our, our city. So how, how, you know, what are some key elements that we should be looking at rather than, okay, this is where, where we're at. You know, what, what are some key numbers I guess we should be hitting or um, ratios or however you want to look at it? Uh, Councilmember Silva, Silva, this is Aaron Morris, Community Development Director. Through the city's housing element update, in particular through the affirmatively furthering fair housing component, uh, we are doing an extremely deep dive into Vacaville's um, community composition and where there are concentrations of lower income individuals and concentrations of other uh, disadvantaged communities. And that work will absolutely inform the housing element um, that we're developing right now, which will have goals and policies and strategies to address those issues. And so I can just assure you from being on the inside with Emily, looking at some of the admin drafts that are coming, getting ready to come to you all um, in the early fall, uh, that those issues will be addressed as part of the housing element, uh, maybe not so much with the housing strategy. Hope that helps. Um, and so just last question, why wouldn't that be a part of this? Um, this is Aaron again. I, will I would explain that the housing element is the broadest look at our community through the lens of equity and through the kinds of programs and services that are needed to make things great for everyone in Vacaville. The housing strategy does all that, but it's a little bit more of a different focus on a lot of it leveraging the private market and leveraging um, kind of other tools to address. I think they're overlapping and there's some connection, but the housing element is the place we're really looking at. Uh, these equity issues in our community. All right, thank you. Councilmember Sullivan. Uh, I, I think uh, I, I appreciate all of the responses and the feedback. I think as Councilmember Silva has been talking, I'm feeling a little less uncomfortable uh, not including some of these key topics. So I don't know if, if Councilmember Stockton would be comfortable with a friendly amendment. I'd like to approve the, the motion as stated, but I really would like uh, maybe an addendum or an additional study point and some strategy from the consultant team on equal distribution, uh, the building order for multifamily and major developments, uh, maybe touch on eviction prevention somewhere, and then the density including the height piece. I think that should be an easy addition there. But for me, that equal distribution issue is a huge, huge problem. And um, I'm really not comfortable leaving that out of the formal motion or study tonight. So I don't. What I would like to do is approve as stated, but to have the consultants go back, uh, add a couple more sections in addendum or a sub-study or a, another chapter, if you will, um, 
and bring it back to us. I, I just I don't feel comfortable leaving that out tonight. So I don't know, Mr. City Manager. You're comfortable with that. Mr. Well, City Manager. Yes, thank you, Mr. Mayor. So uh, I appreciate all the comments tonight um, on the, the depth and the issues of this very important issue. And just to remind the council and the community that when we took out on this task, it really was intended that the housing strategy would look at things that, you know, housing elements don't look at, that cities don't typically look at. Because we wanted to find out what, you know, was preventing the developer, the home builder from building that missing middle product, to, if you remember. The housing element is, is, is a state mandate and has all these elements that we have to cover. It uh, definitely focuses on general plan policies and, and uh, objectives and those things that Ms. Morris mentioned. So everything that you just talked about and Councilmember Silva mentioned are absolutely going to be addressed as part of the housing element. Um, and so these two documents were intended to complement each other to provide the full picture, if you will. So I would, um, if it's okay, um, I'm asking for a little trust here that, you know, we will complete the picture um, that you're describing tonight, finishing through the housing element. Um, tonight, to, to, at this time, to ask EPS to, to uh, amend their, their scope, if you will, when they're at the completion of the contract, that gets into a whole other level of, you know, new contract and, and new scope of work, when we know that that piece will be answered by the housing element. And What's the timing on the housing element? I don't want to mess it up, so I'm going to ask Ms. Morris to come up and give you that answer. I don't want to mess it up either, but we're trying to get it to you all for the first public draft review at August, September timeframe. So not that not not that long from now. Okay. All right. I, I can deal with that. So I, I withdraw my comment. Sorry. Okay. Um, just to your um, height density um, comment. It may be addressed. Um, in chapter four, um, we review um, all of the existing um, development uh, standards and regulations. Um, and then under strategy 2.4, um, we talk about um, adjusting zoning requirements to allow taller buildings. So that may cover your concern. And I um, would ask that you take a look and make sure that it does. I have a motion and a second. Roll call, please. Yes. Councilmember Silva. Yes. Councilmember Wiley. Yes. Vice Mayor Roberts. Yes. Councilmember Sullivan. Yes. Councilmember Stockton. Yes. Mayor Rollette. Aye. Move to item 10B, Mr. City Manager. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Members of the Council, this next item is a the approval of a loan request from Eden Housing to waive surplus cash loan repayments. Um, Emily Cantu, our Housing and Services Community Director, will be making a presentation. stay sitting here for the next couple items so thank you very much um, uh, we are asking for your consideration this evening to approve a request to waive surplus cash loan repayments to the housing fund so that those funds can be reinvested in the existing willows and orchard maples apartments uh, to address emergency and urgent repairs 
Eden Housing acquired a portion of the Vacaville Community Housing Affordable Housing Portfolio in October of 2018. Along with the physical actual apartments and the land, uh, they also assumed all of the debt, the uh, rent affordability restrictions, and other obligations with the city. A few examples of obligations are funding for the Vacaville Neighborhood Boys and Girls Club and uh, working with the police department on their crime-free multi-housing program. The Willows Apartments and Orchard Maples apart Apartments are quite aged. They're over 40 years old, and there really hasn't been any significant uh, rehabilitation work or um, improvement work since the early 90s when Vacaville Community Housing first acquired the properties from private um, owners. Prior to acquiring the properties and also after acquiring, Eden conducted in-depth interior and exterior inspections of all the units that they they took over. Um, those inspections confirm that the Willows and Orchard Maples properties are in need of significant um, investment to bring them um, up to a better standard of living and uh, improve the residents' uh, living situations and also rehabilitation. So given that Eden has been working um, towards an application to refinance the properties, get money out of that to perform that substantial work that needs to be done um, using the state tax credit and, and bond program. Unfortunately in 2000, well, depending how you look at it, unfortunately for this project in 2019, those funds were reprioritized for new construction um, and development of supportive housing and extremely low and very low income apartments. So this um, existing, re, uh, project for rehabilitation was no longer eligible. It didn't fit the categories. So they continued to seek other sources for the rehab. They've been talking to staff over time with different ideas and thoughts, you know, um, of how to accomplish this um, to make improvements to those um, almost 300 units, apartments, um, while they're also continuing to monitor the condition. Um, Unfortunately, some of the property conditions have become um, emergency, and some are really in need of urgent attention to make sure the health and safety of residents is, is maintained. Um, a couple examples are some dry rot situations, bracing of decks and, and stairs that are falling, um, and uh, roof repair uh, leaks, you know, and replacement where it's just too old to um, keep the rain out and improving sewer lines. Uh, because the properties are restricted to the amount of rent they can charge, uh, because they are meant to be affordable and there are um, requirements that have to be met um, and limits to how much they can raise rents, um, after they pay all their normal operating expenses, you know, the maintenance, um, the extent feasible, debt service, and uh, fund some reserves, uh, there's not a big pool of cash to do this work um, quickly. Okay. So um, Eden is, even um, after you consider this action tonight, Eden is gonna continue to pursue financing for a large rehab. Tonight's um, request is to address existing emergency and urgent repairs, why they um, allow them a little more time to try to find that financing source. Uh, so tonight, um, Eden has proposed and we're asking the council to consider 
um, Eden's proposal to use a portion of existing and future replacement reserves, and those funds are held by Eden, plus a portion of the surplus cash loan repayments that are paid to the city's housing fund. By using a portion of the replacement reserves, Eden's ensuring that funds still accumulate for unforeseen capital improvements and also future capital improvement needs and um, requesting to waive just a portion of the city's loan repayment does um, allow the city to continue receiving some repayment of its existing loans. There are 13 loans on the two properties um, at this time that do allow the surplus cash payments to be waived. Um, tonight's request is a long-term and continuous waiver, so we would like the council's feedback and consideration of this request, which is to waive two-thirds of the surplus cash payments to the city's housing fund for the years 2020 to 2026. So if you, um, this chart is included in the staff report and up on the slide, um, 2020 is um, actual um, figures because the year closed out, the audit's complete, 2021 through 2026 are projections. I did wanna mention you might see kind of a large jump from 2020 to 2021, and that is because, um, as Councilmember Wiley mentioned, that the housing strategy um, item, co the COVID pandemic did impact the ability of um, tenants to pay their rent, and so the revenues seen that year were, were lower uh, than anticipated in the coming years. So you can see the total surplus cash payment, the two-thirds um, requested amount to put back into those apartment units to make um, urgent and emergency repairs, and then the estimated payment to the city over that time. So together with the um, estimated replacement reserves, um, we're projecting and Eden's projecting that that will cover the uh, repair needs at this time. Um, so if, if this is approved tonight, the amount waived, um, will, it's gonna serve as a stopgap for now while they continue seeking that um, larger substantial rehabilitation money. Um, it provides an opportunity for the city to preserve our existing affordable housing units and reinvest in an existing community that's that's in need. Uh, there's no funds requested for this item. And, and that concludes the presentation. I can answer any questions you may have. And uh, David Schnur with Eden Housing should be here this evening um, to help out as well. Thank you. To public comment. I'll close public comment, bring it back to Council Member Sullivan. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, thank you very much, Emily, great presentation. Um, I, I definitely think that uh, the apartments and, and the project in question need a little love. Um, one of my, my concerns, and you touched on this briefly, I think on the fourth slide that's in the presentation as well, is we, at Lincoln Crossing, we had a similar, pro not the same, but a similar process over the last, I don't know, year or two where the city did make some some changes to the financing process to allow for some repairs and upgrades. And at the time we were told there would be no rental increases, things would be the same. And then sort of anecdotally, we started getting calls from tenants saying, hey, my rent just went way up or be, you know, kind of a rash of evictions. Um, and I don't know how much of that is just anecdotal, how much of that is true, but it, it did happen a little bit. Um, and we sent a couple folks back, back the housing uh, department way. Um, 
what, if any, rental increases will happen in, in co-occurrence with any of these repairs or upgrades? I, you, you did sort of touch on it. There was nuanced. I, I guess my concern is the city's going to offer this deal. We upgrade the property, give it a facelift, and all of a sudden the rents go up because, you know, and I, and I don't think that'll happen, but how do we assure that doesn't happen or kind of what? Can you speak to that per, per se? Yes, uh, thank you for the question. Um, I would say in connection with this particular request, there are there are no rent increases involved. There's no upgrades occurring. Um, it is really repair emergency and urgent repair needs to keep the um, apartment complex and building safe. Um, what will be impacted is the amount of loan repayment the city receives. But all the rents are restricted either by the Section 8 rules, because there are vouchers at the properties, or by our um, rent restriction agreements that are recorded against the properties. And those um, rent increases are monitored by our department. And my last question is, if we do experience folks calling or, or having issues with rental increases, would, where would we send them to your department? Is that the appropriate, if it does kind of impact trigger with that? Yes, that would be absolutely be my recommendation because okay. we know what the agreements are and what they're right. supposed to do and not supposed to do, and right. we can follow up and we have uh, ways and remedies to address that. So at this point, there is no <laughs> anticipation of rental increases in conjunction with this upgrade at all? There's so none, and I, I did confirm that with the um, owner, Eden Housing, today. Okay. Great. Okay, thank you very much. Councilmember Ritchie. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, this is a topic that uh, I hear a lot. It's big California. We have different communities more cities have rent control this is this is a, a big thing with developers some people i know um, when you when you constrain the, the ability to earn money on a subject development units uh, what's going to happen inherently sounds good to have rent control but you inherently cap the ability for them to reinvest back into the property and that's what's happened here for years and years and years and i think it's a quality of life issue uh, where they've gone decades and have had to live in the same property with uh, diminishing diminishing amenities and, and living standards. So uh, this, this absolutely has to happen because when you have rent control or um, any form of mechanic where they, they can't increase the revenue, they're not gonna reinvest back in the property or they can't reinvest back in the property because they don't, have, they don't have the funds available. So it creates a kind of a cycle. Rent control, you cap the cost of rents, but you inherently cap the ability for the developer owner to reinvest back in the development or the, the, the project to bring it up to code, increase the quality of life standards. So it's something where it, it's Achilles heel because you keep rents low, but you're gonna force them to live in squalor because they can't reinvest back in the property. So doing this is really is a really big thing. Uh, you see developers all over cities in California have rent control, have the same problem. You know, the city says you can't raise rents, but everybody's complaining because they're living in substandard communities. They, they, they can't afford to fix the properties. So it's, it's one of those things where it sounds fun and good, but it, it does create that unintended consequence of uh, dilapidated property. So uh, doing this is a necessity. Um, the rents going up is kind of mutually, hopefully doesn't happen, but they, they deserve to live in a property that is up to health standards and that Louis Louis proud to go home to. So uh, I hope you guys can do this as soon as possible because it, it is something that happens city over city. Um, when you put rent controls, you then inherently put them in a, in a subpar property and um, they need to feel pride of where they go home to and not feel like, wow, it's, it's dilapidated with dry rot. You can't lean on the pants because it'll fall over. I mean, that, that's not fun. So I, I, I think it's moving along. Thank you. Council Member Roberts, excuse me, Vice Mayor Roberts. Thank you. Uh, 
two questions. Uh, with the solid list of improvements, will there be any tenants that will be displaced during these improvements at all? I, I got to go ahead. Schnoor with Mosaic Urban Development for Eden Housing. Um, there is the possibility of very short-term, like, you know, one or two days sort of temporary because, for example, um, there is a need to uh, rebuild the stairway that accesses an upper story unit. If that's the case, the cost of temporarily putting a household up in, in a motel, hotel, temporary housing would be part of the cost of the rehab. The emergency repairs that we have done to date on the life safety issues, um, we had sort of held some money aside for that eventuality, but the contractor was able to do all of the emergency repairs without any need for anything more than, you know, for these four hours, you will not be able to get into your apartment. Okay. And I said, uh, one other question about the, the cost aspect. So this is a maximum cost, correct? So if they do secure other types of funding, uh, would that reduce how the, the payback of the, the loan? I think their request is for the continued waiver of two-thirds um, of the loan payment through 2026 um, while they're um, pursuing funding for, um, sorry, costs that are above and beyond these emergency repairs. So the overall rehab that could include, you know, landscaping, new countertops, you know, upgrading bathrooms, carpet, um, you know, painting, the buildings, you know, if they have awnings, new awnings, so more of uh, overall rehabilitation of the properties overall, where this funding will be used solely towards the existing emergency and urgent repairs. Okay, so it won't change the allocation of funds here. It the, would not. Uh, the other funds will go towards other repairs that are not immediately needed. Correct, yes. Okay, mm -hmm. thank you. Mm -hmm. Councilmember Wiley. Yes, I think my question is probably also for Eden Housing. Um, so we talk about major things like roofs and things like that. And I don't know how big Eden Housing is or where your headquarters, but will you, you use local labor to do these big projects? Uh, thank you, Council Member. Uh, that is always the desire and the goal. Um, it is not um, in the current uh, requirements of the regulatory agreements, but you know it's absolutely um, you know preferable in every instance to use local contractors. Um, the work that's been done to date um, has been um, actually uh, a mix of Solano County and Sacramento County firms on our emergency repairs, um, and we would continue to try to use Vacaville and Solano County uh, firms where possible. And so then you probably like pay prevailing wage, but you don't have to do any kind of benefits or, I mean, we talk, we took, we haven't talked prequel for this, and this is a different kind of a project because it's not really our project, but I just didn't know what you generally do when you do these sorts of things. I, you know, I, I don't want to misspeak about what prevailing wage requirements are in the current regulatory agreements. Um, so, so I'm afraid to answer that question too directly in case I, I, I get that wrong, but um, you know, all of the requirements of the current regulatory agreements will continue to apply for this work. Which kind of leads to my third and final question. So 
are you required then to report to our housing department? Here's the things I've improved. Here's what I've been spending. So we know that the money that we are forgiving you is going directly into the planned urgent needs at that apartment. Yes, they'll be continuing um, reports to the Housing and Community Services Department of the work that's been completed and um, the cost that has been expended to make those repairs. And because it's urgent need, it should be kind of fast forwarded to be done then. Mm -hmm. All right, thank you very much. And I totally agree too, people need to live in a place that's a nice place to live. Thanks. I'll entertain a motion. I'll make a motion. Second. I got multiple seconds. Roll call. Councilmember Sullivan? Yes. Councilmember Stockton? Yes. Councilmember Ritchie? Yes. Councilmember Silva? Yes. Councilmember Wiley? Yes. Vice Mayor Roberts? Yes. Mayor Rollette? Aye. Item 10C, Mr. City Manager. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, members of the council. This next item is the final step in the approval of your community development block grant program. Uh, Tamara Golden from our uh, Housing and Community Services Department will make your presentation. Good afternoon, Mayor Rollette, council members. I'm back again. Um, tonight, you are being asked to accept comment from the public and approve the 2022 to 2023 Community Development Block Grant or CDBG Annual Action Plan and Substantial Amendment to the 2020 through 2025 Consolidated Plan. Just a bit of background, uh, the Vacaville Housing, uh, City of Vacaville is an entitlement community for the federally funded CDBG program. The funds can be used to address the priority needs identified in the consolidated plan. Uh, and our most recent consolidated plan identifies youth public services, public facilities and infrastructure, as well as activities that prevent, prepare for, and respond to uh, coronavirus. As you may remember, we brought the draft 22-23 annual action plan to the May 24th council meeting for comment and feedback, both from the council and from the public. Uh, and this uh, included the included preparing um, the annual action annual allocation of $507,903 for the annual allocation, as well as. Uh, a little bit over $820,000 in CDBG CARES allocation. This chart uh, does show a breakdown of that annual allocation and was included during the presentation uh, on May 24th. It includes a little bit over $100,000 for uh, planning and administration, uh, a little bit over $76,000 for activities that support youth and public services for Vacaville Boys and Girls Club, as well as the Loving Kids and uh, a little bit over $330,000 for activities uh, that improve public facilities and infrastructure, including improvements to the Mariposa, Mariposa Center, uh, a sidewalk repair program, and sidewalk improvements in the uh, primary uh, uh, CDBG target area. The, the next slide shows the activities that were proposed for the CDBG CARES allocation, including funding for planning and administrative activities, as well as funding uh, to support 
the Opportunity House operating expenditures, mental health services that'd be offered and operated by our police department, uh, homeless prevention emergency grants, including uh, rent payments, mortgage and utility and food assistance, as well as funding for food security uh, programs. In addition, the city must also complete a substantial amendment to the consolidated plan to change the CDBG CARES activities to align with the activities in this year's annual allocation that you reviewed on, at the May 24th meeting. 30-day public com uh, notice was published in the Vacaville Reporter with the comment period closing today, June 28th. As of this meeting, the department has not received any uh, public comment on the plan. If approved tonight, the annual action plan, along with the substantial amendment to the consolidated plan, will be submitted to HUD by the July 12th uh, deadline. There are no funds being requested for this item. And if approved tonight, the budget for the CDBG annual and CARES activities will be loaded into the appropriate funds and or accounts. Thank you very much. I'm gonna open up public comment. Seeing no public comment, I'm gonna close public comment and go to Council Member Sullivan. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, thank you, Mayor. Uh, really well done plan again, Emily. I think last time we, we talked, I just, you've clearly been taking notes and listening to some of the requests from Council Members, so just great job. Um, I would be happy to, to make a motion on this item tonight. My only question or request for feedback is, um, can you share with council the kind of nuts and bolts of how folks can apply for the funding or kind of the next steps after this, obviously in the various categories. I know lots of folks are interested, especially on the, the food security and the other kind of bits and pieces there. So I don't know if that'll come back to council or not, but if you can share the details on how folks can apply or kind of the next steps or kind of once the plan's approved, how folks actually get to start applying for those various pieces or even just keep council up to date on what you're doing with those areas, it'd be really cool to hear. So um, that's my only comment, and I'm happy to make a motion after that. Okay. Is that a yeah. motion? Oh. I'll, I'll let her speak, but if yeah, we'll you make a motion, I'll, yeah. I'll second you. Can Thank you. Yeah, I think it depends on the program. So like our sidewalk repair program, um, you will likely look at that because um, it's not existing. So that would come to the council. Um, the Opportunity House will receive a check once the um, budget's approved through a future item tonight, or if approved, <laughs> an item tonight. Um, the emergency um, funding to prevent homelessness is running through our police department. They have an existing program. Um, so again, those funds will be um, immediately available. And the uh, food bank, um, it's likely that we will put out a request for funds or proposals to um, see which food banks are in need of funding and select agencies in that way. Awesome. If, if you don't mind, just email us just to kind of keep it posted. That's great. Roll call vote, please. Council Member Stockton? Yes. Council Member Ritchie? Yes. Council Member Silva? Yes. Council Member Wiley? Yes. Vice Mayor Roberts? Yes. Council Member Sullivan? Yes. Mayor Roulette? Aye. Move to item D, Mr. City Manager. Thank you, Mr. Mayor and members of the City Council. As your budget team comes down to, to take the floor to pull up the presentation, I have the great honor of presenting to Council the final steps necessary to approve your fiscal 22-23 budget. Um, it's been a long uh, process, and um, I'm very pleased um, with the efforts of our team and very grateful to the City Council for your vision and your support throughout this process. Next slide, please. 
So as we've tried to do with all of our budgets um, the, through the pandemic process, we wanted to make sure that we were keeping in touch with council and the community, how things were going. Uh, we were entering new territory that we hadn't entered before um, with the pandemic and uh, what was the economic impact going to be and how are we gonna recover? So um, as we've done in prior budgets, we did once again this year. Um, so we had quarterly budget updates where we kept you informed of our general fund and, and how things were progressing. We've also had multiple study sessions, as you can see here in the summary, where we tried to make sure that we were fully transparent and giving everybody an opportunity to hear what's going on with your budget process, how we look at the big picture, look at um, additional discretionary payments to take care of some of those uh, important pension liability issues. Um, so we've had multiple study sessions on this item where we've hopefully addressed everything that um, people have questions and comments about. Next slide. As we've done with other prior budgets, uh, this year's no different. We had a new theme for this year's budget, which is building for the future. And we thought that that was appropriate because um, given the, the vision that the council has for our community that was expressed in our state of the city that was given early this year, there's a lot, there's a lot happening. And we identified that, uh, if you recall, as a potential renaissance here in Vacaville. But that comes with a lot of work and a lot of planning and a lot of investment. And so. Uh, we're able to do that because of some of the positive things that we see from the economy this year. You know, uh, we're seeing a quicker than expected economic recovery, um, bigger general fund surplus, but we're also seeing some challenges, which we've talked about, inflation, supply chain issues, and then unfortunately the great resignation effects. Uh, we've talked about a lot this process about the big picture and addressing the quality of life, structural and foundational challenges that we haven't talked about before. What are the long-term um, issues and challenges that we see going down the road to make sure that we're serving our community with the services and programs that they um, need and deserve. Next slide, please. So some of the highlights of the budget, I'll just real quickly go over these because we've talked about these before, but you know, the biggest one is, is that we're building capacity um, for the future. Um, and the reason for that is to be responsive to your strategic plan and the priorities. And I'm a firm believer that if you're not putting your money where your priorities are, then they're not priorities. And so the council has identified five strategic plan goals that we've been working on. Um, you just saw one of those tonight earlier, the housing strategy. And so to do all that work that's in those uh, strategic plan goals, uh, we, we, we had a big ask for you. And thus far, you've been very supportive of that, and that includes the addition of 25 full-time equivalent positions, which really gets us closer back to Great Recession budgeting levels. Um, our number one priority is to remain fiscally responsible. So we've added uh, new um, measures to address pension costs, uh, including those things like conducting new um, studies and evaluations of our uh, park maintenance and our utility rate studies. Um, we're continuing to reconnect with our community um, through a variety of different new investment and improvement projects and events. And you see those on there. And, and we also have some um, continued investment in our um, economic development recovery efforts. Uh, the biggest one there uh, we wanted to highlight is our biotech initiatives, both phase three, and then ultimately we're coming back with uh, phase four discussions in the Northeast growth area. Next slide, please. And as I mentioned, the strategic uh, plan and its goals and objectives, this is just a you know graphic that we used in the state of the city to represent that. And you can see here that it's a well-balanced plan uh, included in our strategic plan um, to address all those elements that I just highlighted for you uh, just a moment ago on the prior slide. 
about how we're investing, how we're putting our dollars into all these different elements. And the sole purpose of that is to create a vibrant city. Next slide, please. So on this slide, you'll see um, the total operating budget for the city and the successor agency. It totals just under 265 million, of which $137 million is allocated to our general fund. That represents about an 8% increase from the past year's budget. Um, this increase is attributed to the steps that we've taken to address our foundational and structural challenges that I mentioned to you before, such as staffing, paying down the pension liability. We also have added new funding programs, such as our fire apprenticeship program and the biotech phase three. And then finally, to address the rising cost from inflation and supply chain issues. The CIP budget, as you see on the screen, is just under 41 million. These are uh, improvements that are allocated towards our facilities at the BPAT, Eulatus Cultural Center, Georgia Duke, as well as uh, new funding for our downtown specific plan where um, we're making new investments each year. Next slide, please. This chart shows how we spend or allocate our $265 million um, in our operating budget to the city and successor agencies and how they're split among the different departments. The just over seven or just under seven and a half million for our successor agency is uh, shown in the housing successor uh, agencies uh, field there on the chart. Next slide, please. This is a chart showing our general fund uh, revenue breakdown. Much like uh, all other general fund cities, um, our uh, revenue is primarily funded through property tax and sales tax. And as you can see here, when you add up those uh, elements along with the measure M sales tax, um, that, comp that um, reaches about 64% of our uh, revenue, which is very positive for us because that helps us offset those, um, the downward trends that we were experiencing with tourism and the loss of our parks and recreation fees during the, the height of the pandemic. Next slide, please. Finally, this is a, um, a breakdown of how the different funds or the general fund is allocated to the different departments. You won't see housing or utilities on mills because those are not general fund departments. I would like to highlight you know, that we do have an increase in non-departmental um, section of our budget by about 2%. The reason for that is, is because of our proactive steps that we've asked council to support, which you have, um, to take to pay down our pension liabilities um, so that we pay down those liabilities faster, save on interest costs, and improve our funded status. This is that 2.2 million of ADP payments that we've asked to come from Measure M funds. Next slide. So this is the latest greatest five-year forecast that we have from today. It's very similar to the one that we shared with you in the first budget study session on May. Um, the lines represent projected revenues that go across the screen from left to right, and then the columns rep represent the projected uh, expenses. And as you can see on this slide, there's a lot of positive news here. Um, but given the continued supply chain challenges and the raised concerns over inflation, we wanted to make sure that for the upcoming fiscal year, we're projecting a, a very cautious approach to this. Um, so we're projecting a, a modest revenue growth of about three, 3.1% versus the near 9% growth that we've been seeing up to this point. So keep that in mind as you look at these figures here, as you can see that um, the total general fund revenues, which is the gold mine at the very top, um, exceed the projected revenues over the life of the forecast. Uh, so we have, a, we have a balanced budget and we have a surplus, which is represented by the green field um, uh, on the chart. An item that's not included on the chart is our general fund reserves. Uh, when you include that, 
uh, it, it's projected to stay above the city council's policy levels throughout the life of the forecast. For this upcoming fiscal year, we will be at a 47% uh, general fund reserve. Next slide, please. So now comes the, the, the formal parts of your approval tonight. Uh, we are required by PEPRA um, and SB 1436 to call out the executive compensation. And so through the adoption of your salary schedule and the, the next slide, we will meet all the requirements. So with that, if you can pull that up. Here are the executive salary schedules for the public's review. Council is very familiar with this as part of the budget process. Next slide. And so at this point, I get to the, do the fun part. And I would just like to, again, uh, pay my thanks to the community uh, for your continued support for uh, the passage of Measure M, originally back in 2012, and then once again extended in 2016. Um, as everyone knows, or hopefully is aware, Measure M provides locally controlled funding to preserve our essential services that protect safety and quality of life. It allows for new reinvestment into the community through new projects, programs, and services. And you can see that evident throughout the entire budget. Uh, we've used Measure M for new economic development services and programs. We use it for our public safety programs and then also our community engagement efforts. Um, and then if needed, um, it provides a backup for additional reserves for um, our general fund in an economic crisis. Next slide, please. I'd also like to pay a big thanks and gratitude to the city council uh, for your leadership in establishing uh, the financial policies and practices to create those general fund reserves. More has been done in the past few budgets than have been done previously to uh, reinvest into the organization and to the community to put policies in place to pay down those uh, liabilities and obligations. And so through that um, leadership, we are making great strides on those um, debts. I'd also like to thank you for your vision and creating and adopting the strategic plan goals and initiatives. I know that there's a lot out there, but you were able to prioritize uh, those initiatives and we see uh, the fruit starting to, to, to bear from that effort um, as evidenced by the passage of your uh, housing strategy tonight. And so uh, thank you for those efforts. And again, um, to me, they're not priorities without putting money to it. And this budget does just that. And lastly, I'd like to acknowledge all the department heads and their teams. Um, their staff has been working very diligently at a high level of involvement. Um, we couldn't have done it without the heavy lifting, but the, the big heavy lifting and, and acknowledgement goes to our budget team led there by Ken Matsumi, our finance director, Leslie Hoover, our budget manager, John Collette, who is somewhere working on a spreadsheet, um, and Krista Groner, the executive assistant for the, the department. So thank you very much for all your efforts. Next slide, please. So we're gonna continue doing what we've been doing because um, even though things look more positive than they did in 2020, uh, we wanna make sure that we're keeping in touch with you and showing, sharing with you what's happening. And so we'll continue with our quarterly budget updates and providing the council and community uh, with those updates to track our progress and make adjustments as needed. Next slide. So we have lots of recommendations. I'm not gonna list them. They're included there and in your packet. Um, I would just like to take this opportunity one more time to say thank you. And with that, we are pleased to present your 22-23 fiscal year budget. Thank you very much. More of a public comment. I'm gonna close public comment, bring it back to Council Member Sullivan. Thank you, Mayor. Um, I, really quickly, I kinda wanna echo some of the city manager's comments. I think this is my fourth full budget um, that I've been through here in the city. and. Uh, 
just super impressed. I think that the process that you and the new team have sort of in, implemented, um, you know, this is the first year since I've been on that we really have reinvested back in staff, back in the community, kind of back in our infrastructure. But you did that simultaneously while having a sizable budget surplus for the first time in a, in a couple fiscal years, which is really impressive. And then in the meanwhile, you know, really implemented some very prudent and kind of smart uh, debt policies to really set us up for the future. So just A plus the team, you guys are awesome. Uh, super smart people working for us. And again, I, this is my fourth budget and probably the best one yet. So kudos. Um, I know you had to work out some kinks. The process got a little delayed, but you know, just in, in a really good fiscal position. And so you know, you, you add that to uh, COVID, uh, fires, civil unrest. Uh, just very impressive. So kudos to the whole team. You guys did a great job. Make the motion. I am a motion. I second. Rofo. I got your mic on. Councilmember Ritchie? Yes. Councilmember Silva? Yes. Councilmember Wiley? Yes. Vice Mayor Roberts? Yes. Councilmember Sullivan? Yes. Councilmember Stockton? Yes. Mayor Roulette? Aye. We will move to item E, Mr. City Manager. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, members of the council. This next item is a discussion on the urban reserve evaluation and the development inventory and land need forecast. Our community development director, Aaron Morris, has a presentation for you. My presentation does not look very good. Uh, just a moment while I see if I can fix it. I'm gonna push it off to my computer. My, my slides are not showing. It says the presentation has a flaw and it can't be fixed. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I can present the item without the slides if that would be okay. I'll make it brief, Mr. Mayor. Please. If that's yeah. Yes. Yes, for all of our benefits. So um, the purpose of tonight's item is to introduce the idea of the urban reserve evaluation. It's required by our municipal code. We need to do it every five years. And it starts with an inventory of lands in the city that can host new development, residential development, and what we need in order to maintain a 20-year supply. So staff put together a draft report. We crunched the numbers. We looked at the different categories that we might consider as part of our reserve. And we've concluded that we do need to look at potentially opening up some of our urban reserve, mostly east of Leisure Town, to residential development. Tonight, we're not asking the council to move forward with that. Uh, we're not asking you to take that, any, that kind of specific action. What we like is council direction to take this draft study out to the development community and others in the community that are interested, vet it, talk about it, get public feedback, make any changes to it, run it through planning commission for their input because they all are very knowledgeable and interested in this kind of topic and then bring the effort back to council at a later time uh, for further discussion. So that is staff's recommendation. If you have any questions, I'm happy to answer them. And thank I'll you. Open up public comment. Thank you for the presentation. My name is Roberto Valdez. I'm a longtime Vacaville resident. Uh, I just want to say hi to the mayor, uh, Roland, and the, 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 the uh, city council, as well as the, your staff and the public. But uh, more important, I'm here to comment on this particular. I was hoping to see more of the graphics comments. And, and really, I encourage you to have a very serious discussion about where we're going with your uh, so-called uh, 
urban growth uh, boundary um, uh, evaluation plans, whatever you're doing. And I'm here particularly because I am, uh, um, as you know, um, over the years I've, uh, besides being concerned about Lagoon Valley, I'm also concerned very much about where we're going with uh, the Leisure Town uh, uh, Reliever Road. Uh, what I'm seeing already, and you pretty much I read some of the, uh, your report already, um, and I don't understand all the details because I haven't had a chance to really look at it thoroughly, but I do know that you're, you're, you're focusing particularly uh, was mentioned about the Roberts, uh, Roberts Ranch project, the uh, Brighton Landing project, the Vanden Meadows uh, project, and I'm sure soon you're gonna get the uh, Green uh, Tree project, which uh, by the way, I'm totally against development there, totally. And I tell you why, because I am very concerned about the impact here, as I said, to the, uh, not only to that very important reliever road, uh, but also to the wildlife, to the agriculture lands. Uh, I can be more specific, swings and hogs, boring owls, uh, white-tailed kites, even the oak trees that you're going, you've got 36 oak trees at the Green, Green Tree Project right now that I don't know what's gonna happen to them out of 750 something trees that we've been talking about at the, with the planning, with the uh, Vacaville planning and, um, you know, but I'm more important, you know, I'm, 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 I'm here to tell you, you, before you make any plans, think about the impact that the growth, the development growth is having on the reliever road, particularly when we have an emergency. And I particularly, and I mentioned this repeatedly, you, if you have lived here as long as I have, 32 plus years, you will remember what happened to us when we had that big flood in December 31st, 2005. I could not get to work in the Bay Area because we had a tremendous flood that went all the way to Fairfield. And it doesn't take much in Vacaville to have our, our, our roads uh, plugged up. And, and you, can, you can forget about I-80. I, I it's becoming a congested traffic continually, and it, hasn't, it doesn't simmer down. It only takes one accident on 80 for the entire road system in Vacaville uh, to exit the city uh, uh, already, Peabody, whatever. But anyway, what I want to say to you, and I want to keep within your three minutes, You're is that, uh, and pardon if I take one more minute, pardon, um, that- uh, no, you have to wrap it up, I'm sorry. That uh, uh, this is a very ambitious project you're really embarking in already with those three projects in mind. And so think about the impact, not just about the plan. Thank you what very your much. development is having already. Thank, Thank you. you. And it is nice seeing you again. <laughs> I'm gonna close public comment and um, I don't see anybody wanting to make comments just yet. Actually, Vice Mayor Roberts just jumped in. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, sorry, take a second to try to pull up the report, the, <clears throat> the images in it. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of maintaining green space. I do understand the need for smart growth. As uh, we just went over the housing strategy is yeah if we do bump out the urban growth areas there's i know most of the development on that side is on the higher end of affordability for most people it's the most of those are going to be expensive houses so we're going to have needs to find a way to definitely do some type of inclusionary housing if we do expand it out that that way i know some of it is in northeastern which will be part of the biotech uh, initiative um yeah, those are just some comments. I understand need for growth, but if we are growing out there, 
we do need that higher density. Uh, I know the base is extremely short or limited on their base housing, so we do need stuff that's affordable for all pay scales of the military on that side of town. Because right now there's nothing on that side of town at all that people from the base can even afford. Um, and yeah, because I know there's been comments of, oh, let them rent the house where you're not going to have a bunch of 20 year old uh, airmen that are going to rent the house. Or if they do, then we'll get complaints that it's like a frat house or something. So we, need, we do need apartments and condos and duplexes or even quadplexes on that side of town, as well as other inclusionary housing for those low income persons. Um, yeah, that's just my comments on this growth piece. Thank, Thank you. you, Councilmember Ritchie. Thank you so much for your report. Um, I kind of piggyback it off of what um, Vice, Vice uh, Mayor Roberts said. Um, you know, I, I, when they learn finance or in the housing, never speaking absolutes, like there is always something, there's always a possibility. And I, I think let's put this in the developer's hands, get it out there so they, so they can interact with the city as fast as possible because we need to make sure that, you know, we have a green space, we don't underutilize or overutilize stuff, but it's kind of, um, I mean, we have all these overlapping circles with the housing element, everything we're going through. And for us to kind of stop progress of building and developing, it's really going to waste our time and hamper our whole incentive and goal to, to um, enable city residents of Vacaville to have housing, affordable housing. If we, if, we, if we now hamper growth and opportunities, why would we waste our time? We, we have to build smart. And the housing in Green Tree it's just going to be awesome. Like there, there, had, there is a diverse mix of housing densities that is going to accompany age-restricted and non-age-restricted. We're going to be able to kind of allow every group of the community, from from elderly to workforce, to have opportunity to live in, off that hopeful Jefferson Parkway um, to be speedily take you to work. Hopefully, in, hopefully in Vacaville when the, when the budget comes right. Just go right over the hill to District 1, have fun, go to work, come home, and spend your money, tax dollars downtown. Uh, that, that's the goal, right? It's a whole master plan of the back of the hill. But, I mean, with the Urban Reserve, is something we have to look into. Um, there's a lot of developers that are looking at ways to build um, inclusive housing where they're going to put executive housing in close proximity to affordable housing to create the synergy of uh, community. I mean, these are things that are happening, but uh, we can't be scared of the growth. Get to the right thing and let developers um, have the, the ability to interact with our city and come in front of us and make sure they, they, they talk to people like Aaron and and Aaron and uh, and build smart. We have to we have to be scared to um, to build and develop. I mean, we want to grow, have to grow. We have to have more housing. It's going to come from somewhere. Um, District one and two are the growth plans for Vacaville. So the urban reserve is a portion of the land adjacent to Leisure Town. We have to explore that ability to them to have quick access to the new biotech centers we're trying to build. So I think it all comes together. We just got to kind of work diligently with the development community and allow them to have the capacity to build smart and small so we have a stratified housing. I mean, to me, it's, it's a, we have to have it happen. Thank you. Councilmember Stockton. Um, thank you for the impromptu presentation. Outstanding. Um, so just to make, just to clarify, this is just for you to explore expanding um, the, the urban reserve so that we can look into future development there, correct? 
It's actually to explore whether or not that we should, that the council would authorize development in the urban reserve. There's no change to the urban growth boundaries part of this. That's locked right. and by the voters, but right? Yeah, this is about these two main urban reserve areas and whether or not it's time to assign a residential land use designation to them and allow them to develop. Okay. It's we, really starting that conversation. Perfect. It's not. And so yeah. my next question would be, since we've talked a lot about things that are with our, within our control to, um, with, with housing strategies, we would have the opportunity to look at zoning this area. Would the zoning change then? Would this give us the opportunity to do that? Or is we gonna have to do that on a case-by-case -case basis? Uh, this would give the council the opportunity once the inventory is vetted and comes back to you to make some decisions about what kind of housing you would like to see there and to allow developers or, and or the city to initiate general plan amendments to actually designate that land for that type of housing. Okay. It's a multi-step process. I just wanna emphasize that because this is just really starting the conversation. Correct. Well, I'm all for starting the conversation. I don't think that hurts anything. I'd like the motion that we approve. Okay, I have a motion and I have a second. But we still, yeah, and I still have a comment too, but Council Member Sola. No, you're fine, you're fine. Um, so, so my question is, um, I, I guess it's kind of getting at the why. So, you know, Council Member Stockton kind of asked this point as well. Staff time is finite, right? And there's all kinds of things we want staff to work on. So approving this tonight, you know, sets hours and staff time and effort towards something that, you know, could be used elsewhere. I personally have, have no interest in, in further developing any of these parcels until we figure out the schools, parks, and other development issues that we've talked about time and time again on council. So for me, I think this actually is a distraction from some of the core issues that, that we need to address. I know some developers want to develop in these areas and have some ideas and thoughts, but we don't have the amenities, the schools, the things these families need in the houses that are there now. So we're going to add more and kind of exacerbate the problem. And, you know, we've sat up here on this dais talking about, you know, maybe we just, we're, we're not going to build more if we're going to have these problems and developers aren't going to follow through. So. I guess, like, what is the upside for the city? What What is the driving factor here? Because again, this is gonna take dozens, if not hundreds of staff hours to do something that maybe we don't even wanna do or is sort of the antithesis of what we've been talking about up here. What What is the upside from the city's vantage point to do this? Um, the driver on this is that when the, so the city's required to update our municipal services review every five years. And when the general plan was adopted in 2015, a city policy was established and we have our municipal code now that requires that when we update our MSR every five years, we are to do this development land inventory and have a conversation about the urban reserve. It doesn't obligate the council to actually unlock the urban reserve, but we are obligated to do the inventory and bring it forward to council. So that's the why we've done the initial draft. There will be some work to finalize it with the developer input and other input. But again, it is required under our ordinance as part of our five-year municipal services review. So, so we have to do it, but yes. we don't, I mean, you could just go through and say, hey, it's still the same as it was. Is that basically what's happening? We have to bring the information to the council. You all are the decision makers on whether to okay. move forward with changes to the urban reserve once we've completed the analysis. Okay, so you're just giving us a heads up, basically you're gonna do that tonight is what's happening. Yeah. Okay, basically. thank you, all right, that makes sense. I am pro-development. And I want to unlock that urban reserve. I wanted it back when we did the general plan, but it got kiboshed with the new council. So with that, um, I'm absolutely excited about it. Don Burris, uh, I know council member Sullivan was saying earlier, Don Burris, fantastic job. Vacaville is gonna change. Uh, the staff over here, fantastic job. We have bio manufacturing coming. I get excited just talking about it. We sat down, was it 
last week, what's today, Tuesday, sat down last week with another company. We just did biomanufacturing convention. People are coming to Vacaville. I think we have a total of five now that are locked in coming to Vacaville. Huge careers, lots of money coming to Vacaville. Nice jobs that we've talked about it forever. I'm excited. We got to have housing for them because that was the first question they asked. We want to come to Vacaville. We see you, but we have a lot of folks coming. And if we don't have these homes to fit, they're not going to want to come here to Vacaville. And I want them to live here. I want them to work here and I want them to spend their money here. So I'm absolutely excited about it. I don't know if we had, we have a motion in a second already. So we'll go to roll call vote. Council member Ritchie. Yes. Council member Silva. Yes. Council member Wiley. Yes. Vice mayor Roberts. Yes. Council member Sullivan. I'm going to say no. Council member Stockton. Yes. Mayor Rowlett. Yes. Thank you very much. Okay. F Mr. City manager. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, members of the city council. This next item is a review and discussion of the amended council district benefit program guidelines. Georgianne Megersmith, our deputy city manager, is here for a presentation. Good evening, Mayor, Vice Mayor, member of the council. Uh, tonight we have some proposed amendments to the council district, district benefit program for your consideration. Just a quick background for you. Um, council approved the council district benefit program as part of last year's budget process. The funds do come from Measure M. And how the program works is that each district and the at-large mayor receive $50,000 in funding annually to be spent on some of the projects that you see here. We did keep the original um, program intentionally broad just to provide as much flexibility since it was a new program. We weren't exactly sure how it was all gonna work, but some of the projects that could be funded through the program include public facility and park improvements, neighborhood improvements, community events, programs, and services. And as part of the Measure M update in on May 10th, we did come and talk about some of the proposed amendments and uh, yeah, so the proposed changes are in bold. So some of the changes to the eligible expenses that we're proposing are to add sponsorship for city events to the list of eligible expenses. And that could be uh, one example is District 5 just recently sponsored the dive-in movie night um, that's hosted through the Parks and Recreation Department. And then we're also proposing to add donations to organizations that provide a clear community benefit. Examples would be organizations that provide youth or homeless services. It could be much broader than that, but those are just a few. And then ineligible expenses. Flip side of the ones we just discussed would be donations that don't provide a clear community benefit. Some examples would be donations to an individual or a single household. So timelines, these are all things that we are proposing to add to the guidelines. The first two we did talk about when we originally proposed the program. Um, and so that would be no projects or events allowed after the close of the nomination period in years when a council member is seeking reelection. We do wanna kind of respect and stay away from the election timeline. Um, and projects must not be completed within three months prior to the month of election. Um, no projects or events would be allowed if a council member is the subject of a qualified recall election as well. And then 
we want your projects to be successful. And so with that, we need a little bit of lead time in terms of planning and promotion. So we would like to add that project proposals must be submitted at least 90 days in advance to allow for planning, permitting, if required, and promotion. And then feasibility and clarity. Projects and events requiring staff after normal business hours or during weekends, we're hoping that we could maybe include some limitations that they would not exceed one per month. Um, obviously, there are many types of events or programs or projects that wouldn't include staff time, and so there's still all of the flexibility there. And in the case of a proposed use of council district benefit program funds, where it doesn't clearly fall within the established guidelines, we're proposing that the council member um, would bring that item back to council for approval. And with that, by a simple motion, I recommend that you approve the amended council district benefit guidelines as proposed. Public comment. Seeing none, I'm gonna close public comment and I think I almost have everyone up. So, Council Member Sullivan. A uh, couple council comments really quick. Uh, the first comment was um, surrounding the, oh, let's see, the adjustment for donation organizations providing a clear community benefit example organizations providing youth or homeless services. I, I like that and I think that's helpful. I think the only caveat I would add is that in Vacaville, so we have some organizations, for example, the Red Cross, that serve statewide, right? So if we're gonna support them, it should be for a program in Vacaville, those dollars spent in Vacaville, I believe. You know, I'm not paying a salary for some national organization or a group that has facilities throughout the region. It's it's in Vacaville. I think that delineation is important. I, I have some um, some heartburn over the, the timeliness piece. That's new to me. I haven't seen any of that. And I think that actually boxes out quite a few of us right now within like a week. And we so I, I think I, I would strike that entire section for now. I think maybe we can discuss that later, but you would essentially have three or four of us that would be completely ineligible to spend any of our funding in, in about a week and a half. And that's not very fair notice. And it, it is, it, I, I don't like that at all. So um, I can see why that would be in there. Um, but I think that um, pretty much boxes out Richie, myself, and Wiley immediately, which is, um, I, I'm not okay with that. And the mayor. And the mayor, sorry. <laughs> okay, Council Member Stockton. Just wanted to thank you for taking our input, working with us, and I know that you're getting pulled in probably seven different directions, but I do think that um, this is a good thing. I, the kind of the transformation or the growth of this project, I think, is really good. Um, the 90-day lead time, yeah, I'm not so sure about that. I, I don't support that either. Um, but for the folks that are coming up on um, re-election campaigns and stuff like that. They can still spend the money, just not on an event, right? They can still make a donation to an organization that has a community benefit, or they shut down for the entire six months or so. I'm going to look to the me, city months. attorney to help me answer that question. Sorry, can you can you pull up back, pull the uh, slide back up? So any project. Yeah, yeah so any. Well, I, I suppose that's up for the council to decide how they want, you know, what they want to, uh, how they want to interpret that. Um, if you want to allow donations during that period, uh, you, you could. We were trying, what we were trying to get at is uh, protecting um, anybody up for re-election from kind of conflating or it being conflated that 
you know, it's an action as a council member versus an action as a candidate. So. Uh, right. I just wanted to know the distinction before we voted. Yeah, it, and I would vote for this just because now we are in election cycle and, it, and I, I wasn't a big fan of giving this money out to all the districts. I do understand that, um, you know, for each district it, it helps, I guess, the council member in his district to go out and do something in his district. But as a person that uh, will be running, I, I think it looks bad. It just, it looks like you're using city money to go out and campaign and, and you would use it. Um, what I wanted to do with it, and I've talked to the city manager, was I wanted to give it to the play for all. And Tom was excited and he's like, we'll have you out, we'll have you give us a check. And that would look really great for me in an election cycle, giving this play for all part, you know, $50,000. It's not mine, but we need to be out there giving that away, that city money. So I actually like this and I think that um, it's good not, you know, unfortunately we're right now on top of it. So that's unfortunate. However, I think it, uh, you know, it's the integrity and in trying to make sure that, that we're doing the right thing and I'd want to stay doing the right thing. So I would be in favor of the language. And I have two more folks. Uh, Councilmember Wiley. I just wanted to also comment on the t time frame, and it says projects cannot be completed within three months of prior to the month of the election. So it seems like you could initiate a pro program, but it just wouldn't be completed. It particularly, um, the other question I had was the time frame, because it says the projects are within the fiscal year. So the 50,000, and I also will say, you said the council members got 50,000, it's, it's in this budget, but we don't have it. I just want everyone to know they didn't give us $50,000. So, um, so we've got this budget, which then started in the last fiscal year, which will then be over June 30th. Is that the end of the fiscal year? Correct. Right. And I don't believe, you know, I haven't spent that, but then technically I would get for District 6, $50,000 again, starting uh, July, 1st. July 1st. And I may or may not be in office after November 30th. So the timing is kind of an issue, the way we have it set up. And I know we were just doing this because it's a pilot project. And the reason you do a pro pilot project is to see what works and what doesn't. Um, so I wanted to clarify, um, would additional 50,000 be in July? And then um, Councilmember Sullivan said it would be over in July, but to me it would be August. So August, September, and August, September, and October would be the, the three months. So if we, we could still do things in July and be within the 90-day frame. However, I have a request you know, to do a porta body for National Night Out, which is August 2nd, which isn't exactly a campaign item, but I would like to do a porta body on August 2nd, and if we leave it like this, I don't think I could do that with the district dollars. So I think we need to look at that a bit. Um, Vice Mayor Roberts. Yeah, just uh, look at that. I, would the council would make like exceptions for like providing a porta potty? Um, another easy solution is give it to us that are not running. <laughs> um, right. Well, um, yeah, I, I 
definitely get the, the aspect of it being perceived as a campaigning piece. Uh, although the events that I've held don't have my name anywhere on it, I might show up in the background just to see how it goes. But there, there, you can you can do it where the council member is not directly tied to the event itself. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm good with that three months prior. Um, I, I think one of, the, one of the hard things was is because it is a new pilot program is the length of time it takes to get some of these events going. Because I know the mayor has his uh, grant thing to start, but is that because it's a grant program that we're looking at? I was also looking at a grant program as well, where it's an ongoing thing. There's no set project date or times. Individuals would come and request that that grant. So what about projects like that that aren't council member driven, but community driven? There's a lot of nuance to this program. As yeah. you can see, there's a lot of complicated pieces to it. So, and it is new, so we'd have to yeah. work through what that might look like since there's not one yes. grant program. So I'd like to see right some now. with that, like particularly like grants where we're not the ones that are running the project. It's somebody's requesting a Zarek landscape, for example, or wanting to do a block project, like one of those little neighborhood library birdhouse things where we're not directly tied to the money itself. Uh, so I'd like to see some language for those type of projects, I guess, because they're not really associated with the council members spending that money on an event. Council member Sullivan. Yeah. I Kind of, kind of reiterating go. some of my same comments, and I, I like the, the vein that, that Councilor Roberts is on. I mean, I don't necessarily care if my name's on it, but again, this wasn't explained early on, and so, you know, we're just getting our projects kind of kicked off, and this will derail a, a sizable project I have going right now at Mariposa and Alamo Gardens, and I, I just, I don't think that's fair. We didn't have notice. I mean, and honestly, there's constraints with resources at the city level that, that slowed things down, and there's things that, that we slowed, that we just didn't know. So. I guess if I had some advance notice, and I knew I had to get this done over the last six months, that would have been something different. We had the resources of the city to do that. But I think this is, um, I guess I understand where this is coming from, per se. I'm not exactly sure why it was all of a sudden included or who was having complaints about it. But I think it could be perceived that way in years one, two, three anyways, whether or not it's right before an election. It could be looked at as favoritism or playing to your base or whatever. I, I do like Councilman Roberts' kind of vein of like, how do we get it back a little more on an unbiased administrative pathway. I mean, me trying to have the council uh, invest in Mariposa is just not gonna happen. It's not gonna be a priority for the council. I can make it a priority and leverage these funds because it's my district and I believe in it. So I, it, it is important to me. I, I still, you know, I, I think again, springing this on council, I mean, it's not you guys, it's th this change right before the filing deadline, timing is, is bad. I think if we had some advance notice a year or two to think about it, we could work with the city manager and staff on planning, that would be more effective. But I do think it is it is rather unfair for the four of us that have to go through this in about two weeks and half our plans haven't even started because of a variety of limitations. And so that's kind of where I have some heartburn. I guess I wouldn't totally be opposed to this at a later date, um, but I, this is a pretty significant change with you know just a few weeks before filing dates that um, that I, I, I have a hard time supporting because it's gonna impact the kids in my district in a pretty negative fashion. So that's, that's kind of my take. I get it, but I, it, the timing is bad for me. City manager? So 
So I appreciate all the council's comments and, and to Georgianne's point about there are a lot of nuances here. Um, so just if I could, um, you know, talk about some of the comments that I've, uh, you've provided tonight. So with regards to the project proposals and the timeliness of submitting those ahead of time, um, you know, we're, staff is doing a lot and, and we're all learning this program. And I think you're all finding out new ways to, to look and, and expend the money. But each one of those ways is involving the same resources typically every time. And th there's, there's limitations to that. And as Georgianne mentioned, we wanna make sure that we're putting the best foot forward for city staff and more importantly for city council as they go out in the community and especially for those community events. And, and there's been uh, quite a few of those. And so those do take time to, to plan, um, get the word out and coordinate with all the different, uh, you know, departments and agencies and everything. And so I think that's the primary one that we need the advance notice for. Okay. And then some of the bigger projects that we're working on with, you know, Councilman Sullivan and Councilman Silva, those are, those are, you know, RFP type projects. And so those need more time. But I mean, if it's, if it's along the lines of, well, hey, I want to donate money to this cause and there's a clear, you know, community benefit, you know, those are probably things that we can work with. But again, we're, we're learning and evolving. But I think why we included the, that um, last bullet there is because we want to make sure that we're putting a good product out there. And um, while we added one resource in the city manager's office to help do a bunch of things, it's one resource that has really been occupied with this very subject alone. And, you know, they were supposed to do some other things as well. So um, I think if we can continue to vet some of these things and, and add, you know, some tiers, if you will, that could help us as opposed to just throwing out the 90-day the, the thing altogether. Uh, appreciate the comments about the, you know, so close to election. Um, I, I do believe while it wasn't written down, we did talk about that in the original, this, you know, um, guidelines discussion. Um, but again, I think what we're saying is not to completely stop it, but that as it gets close to that three month period that we're not finishing it. Um, but again, it's really our th thought of how to make sure that there isn't the appearance out there in the community. It's really up to the council to decide how far you want to go with that or not. Um, this was our recommendation to you, um, and I apologize if it's caught folks off guard, but it, it was intended to make sure that um, people weren't second guessing how their tax dollars were being put to work in the community. So please keep in mind that everything that we're trying to put in front of you is to, to make sure that we're getting the best return on the investment and that the community recognizes that and that they don't see that there's, or believe that there's any kind of uh, trickery going on with, with the dollars. Councilmember Ritchie. Thank you so much, John. Thank you for Jordan and Eric for your explanation. So, yeah, I, I see the, the comments. I mean, for me, um, you know, there, there's, a, there's always opportunity windows. You know, the, the, the loopholes are, like I said, some of it's not a bad thing to say loophole, but um, it, not, not, it, can, it can happen within three months. So the project can close in December. Right. Two weeks after. I mean, I, for me, I, I, I really don't care. Um, it's, I would do the right thing regardless of how it looks for me. Like I have the same, actually it's funny, I have the same passion that uh, our, our mayor has. I was in the gym like three weeks ago and they were highlighting um, a amazing version of Play for All Park in New Jersey. And they were just, it was on Fox News, I think this one of like 
three parts in the whole country. Like, my God, we have one in our backyard, and we just got to finish it. Uh, we were the first park that will, that will be of its caliber on the east, the west side of the Mississippi. So, I mean, I don't care literally to write a check, and I, I don't post anything. No, wow, look at me. I, do, I just want to do the right thing for the community, and that can happen tomorrow and wire the funds to them and have it done and are off and running. Um, and other things I have are just community benefit where um, like some, some more vice, uh, more like the license plate reading cameras, more cameras in the city. Um, some of the residents in the community really want that. So I don't care where they go. That's the police's the job. Their job is to be the experts to know where to put those cameras to help uh, further protect our city. Um, my, I want my funds to go towards community benefit, and I don't really, I, I, don't, I don't want to be in front of a sign and say, look at me. So I, I truly feel there's a lot of leeway between now and when the nominations close, and for all I care, I could lose and still feel happy to know that I did the right thing for the community. So who, I don't care if it, if it if, I think if you, if you really have the right, right cause, and it's not self-serving, it doesn't matter if you have your name on it or not. Just do the right thing and it'll all work out. So I think we just, I just want to go forward. I want to get the money to the community. It's their money. Like, it's not ours. We're, we're, we're entrusted by the city of Acapulco with their money to do the right thing. So I don't say it's not mine in the first place. It's their money. So I just want to get back to them as fast as possible. Councilmember Stockton. Yeah, I, I asked a question earlier um, and, and I appreciate everybody's comments, but I'm kind of disturbed by them. Um, I'm disturbed by the fact that we're more concerned about four people who are running for re-election um, than we are for the 100,000 people that live here. We're getting ready to talk about campaign financing. We, we literally are discussing whether or not it's appropriate to spend up to $100,000 on campaigns that we're choosing where it goes. We can absolutely not um, allow this to be something used as some sort of campaign booster funded by the um, funded by the community at large. I, I, I think that, that it was very wise to put in the 90-day thing, uh, and I, I won't vote for it unless that is in there, and frankly, I'll vote to get rid of it if we don't do something that makes sure that this is not being abused um, and used, um, you know, especially when other folks that are going to run are going to be limited to $1,000 a piece or $2,500 a piece for, for the mayor's race. I think this is just one more way that we kind of destroy democracy if, if we're not careful. Vice Mayor Roberts. Yeah, I'm, I, I agree with Councilmember Stockton on this, where that 90 days and the close of the nomination period does need to be in there. Um, I don't know how you'd feel about maybe exception for a couple of those projects that have been in the works for a few months already. Um, I don't know how you feel about that. I think they got to wait. Okay. Yeah, see if they get reelected or pass it off to sure. one of us to do <laughs> for them. Um, but yeah, I, I think the 90 days, the, the timing of this is kind of difficult because yeah, we're figuring out as we go. I'm sure in six more months, we'll figure out something else that needs to be added to this and tweak it a little bit like, for example, grants are ongoing that community does. Um, but yeah, I see there's a couple other speakers that want to go, so I'll go ahead and let them speak. Council Member, Sull oh, Council Member Sullivan. Thank you, Mayor. Um, I, I, I sort of take a little bit of offense to Councilmember Stockton's comments. I think they're a little bit um, misplaced and, and there's some pontification there a little bit, especially based on, on the, the next topic. Um, 
I, uh, so Councilman Roberts has mentioned twice that we can hand off funds to another council member. Is that a possibility? I, I didn't know that was something we could do. That, that was something that was included as part of the original guidelines. That so, so I guess my concern is like, I don't view relaunching the Mariposa Center as a campaign ploy or some ploy to get votes for myself. I, I view it as a way to serve kids that have been completely underserved for 20 or 30 years in Vacaville, and I'm very passionate about it, so I, I do take some offense to, to, to your statements, Roy. Maybe that's not how you meant it's it. It's not but personal. It's, it's the perception of impropriety, man. It's not, it's not directed at you. I, I believe that your heart is purely for the kids. I'm not questioning that at all. Right. But the, to the public, I think that it creates distrust in us if we're doing these things during these times. And it will affect me, too. Right, it's it's not personal, but because I because I know you, I've sat on, yeah. on on boards with you, and I know you have a heart for our community. But we still have to be very cognizant about these perceptions because they matter, especially well, when yeah. we're limiting other people's sure. ability to campaign. Sure, it, but I, I think we could make that case on a you know on a on a vote for a labor group or all kinds of different things. And so no matter what we do, that perception is going to be out there, and that's why the voters have the choice to vote us in or out. So. I just think that projects like this are too important to derail. And quite frankly, and with the political dynamics in Vacaville, for, for me, you know, there's there's people probably gunning for each one of us that want to burn down what we built. Um, I'm just not willing to wish that for the for the kids of Mariposa. They they deserve something better. And I've been working on this for six or seven months. And I might not be here in January. And and I want to see them have a new community center. I want to see them have a new playground. And if that causes distrust for the voters, I I, I don't I don't see how or why. So. Can I respond to that? Sure, please. So, so to clarify that, is there a way that somebody could delay a project that they're working on so that it goes after the election? Because I'm concerned about the time up to and including the, the election concluding. So, I mean, is there a way that they could do that? Because if he's been planning something and that he sets in motion and it's going to happen after the election is complete, whether he's here or not, I think that should still be honored. I'm not opposed to that. I agree. I think the right. kids should be taken care of. I just don't want it to be seen as a use, as an unfair advantage sure. in in a campaign. That, no, I, I that's get that. purely my, my but, vote. But in, in my particular instance, you know, I've been working with consultants and staff for seven or eight months, nine months. And so to derail the process now for me is, is catastrophic. It's not something I want to do. And frankly, like, we're, we're on a ticker. You know, I, we do have eight months left to get something done. And, and quite frankly, I'm not willing to risk that for those kids because they deserve something better. And there's no one else that's going to champion for them because no one has been for years. And so I get what you're saying. The events piece, I get it. We shouldn't be sponsoring little events or this, that, or the other. But if you've got a major grant with consultants and you're lining up major projects, there's matching grant funds, and you've invested hundreds of hours, this is, this is devastating. And so uh, if I had noticed, if I knew this two years ago, I, I would have done things different. Sure. It, get this a week before that this is actually happening. Um, this is a huge blow to, to the Levin. It's a huge blow to the Boys and Girls Club. It's a huge blow to all of those kids at that project that may not get what we've been working towards and, and telling them we're working towards because we have concerns about some perceived voter impropriety. And I, and I just don't really see that. So for me, I have a big problem with it. I think there's a way to figure it out. Um, I see what you're saying. Yeah. I and mean, if we're out, you know, handing out Christmas gifts at Christmas or, you know, November turkeys, yeah. And that's happened for years and years and years. But if we're talking about rebuilding the recreational opportunities for a disadvantaged neighborhood that's been disadvantaged for 30 years, I completely disagree. So maybe there's somewhere we meet on the middle on this one, but like I'm not going to vote for this tonight as is with timeliness because it's it's not right. And, and I think 
if we had two years advance notice, maybe I'd be okay with it, but uh, two weeks advance notice just isn't something I can do with the project that I've got, and it hurts these kids. It doesn't, it doesn't hurt my campaign, it hurts these kids in this project. So that's kind of where I'm at tonight. Um, and again, it's not a campaign thing, it's not a scheme, and you and I know each other. Sure. It's, it's about these kids in this neighborhood. So that's, that's where I'm at right now. Councilmember Wiley. Well, I believe that the reason this was put in was to not have any impropriety before a campaign and not, not to have it, not to have the appearance of it. Because if there is uh, things going on and people are spending money, then it can be. So I understand why it's put in. I'm really a little bit also kind of disturbed that just within this group, it felt like there was uh, an assumption that we would be using the dollars to do our own campaign. And then we've had this discussion to kind of clear that up. But I believe that if Councilmember Sullivan and myself vote against this for that reason, then it will soon be on social media that we didn't want this because we couldn't promote our campaigns with city dollars. Because that's the way social media does when these things get out. Um, so it is a difficult position to be in. I do, at least it says the programs cannot be completed. It's taken you this long to get started. Do you think that you will have it completed by that time? You should have some things done, but if the project isn't completed within those three months, then you're still good. If I have a project that I want to, like that porta potty thing, technically I couldn't do it because it would be over at National Night Out. That's August. I'm not going to put a Wiley for a campaign on the porta potty. I'm not going to use it for a campaign event. But someone could argue that I'm using district dollars at an event in August. So it is kind of a difficult position. But I, um, I can vote yes for this if I think you're not going to be completed and you will be able to do your project. But I also don't want to stop a project. And basically, it's putting my projects on hold for three months. I've, I've kind of been talking about a sidewalk in an area of town that needs it. It's been difficult to get the information going forward. Um, it might not take that long to be done. But um, so it is kind of put, putting our, our projects on hold a bit with this time frame. So I just wanted to say, if there's a misunderstanding in this group, there's sure going to be a misunderstanding on social media. And I know where it's going to be headed. <laughs> Thank you. This is Mike. I have a suggestion. I still have advice, oh, Mayor. Uh, Councilmember Silva. Did you need to jump in, City Manager? At some point, yes. Okay. Silva. Uh, my suggestion is that uh, we maybe we look at these as uh, guidelines, or we can keep it as rules or guidelines, so that there's a mix. Uh, but wherever there's, uh, wherever we're looking for some type of exception or um, wherever there's some type of conflict, it's something that each council member should have uh, the influence or the authority uh, to a point to bring it back to the agenda, put it under their consent calendar, uh, so that way council as a whole can either say, hey, we support this allocation of these funds for this item or not. Uh, and that can be something that's within the, uh, before the agenda, well, you know, within a week of the agenda being posted of, of some sort. So the suggestion is that we as a council 
um, when anything conflicts with, with uh, the quote-unquote guidelines or uh, our policies, um, that it's something that we as a council, uh, it comes with something that we can bring back to the council to decide uh, whether or not that's appropriate or not. Vice Mayor Roberts. Yeah, I was going to make a motion if there's no more comments. Please do. Our city manager wanted to say something first. So I was just simply going to build, that was kind of my point, is, is that if there's concern about the intent, um, Georgian, can you go back a slide or two, wherever that was? Um, so essentially the, the, the comment about that if there's concern um, that there's special circumstances or whatever um, to, to bring it back to council. Now, again, you know, does that address the question of how it looks? Um, I'm going to let you guys decide that. Um, but in terms of, you know, is this a project that has long-term, um, you know, needs? Because I will share with you that, you know, we have been talking about, you know, temporary sidewalk improvements. Whether it's temporary or it's permanent, it's going to take longer than three months. It's in, you know, because it has to fit in the, the CIP budget somewhere. It has to fit in with the design team and then putting that together. It's not that we're not interested in it. It's not that it's not a priority for us. It's simply that where does it fall in the workload volume? Uh, same thing with, you know, the proposal expanding on the project that, that we're working on with Councilmember Sullivan, taking it to that next level. It's a logical progression. But at the same time, it's another next step. And so how does that work in the overall scheme of things? And so I would just say that if there are those different circumstances um, and you want to have another dialogue about it, then we could use that clause in there, the second bullet, um, as Councilmember Silva was kind of alluding to. But I would just ask that we don't do that the week before the council meeting, that you give us some advance notice about it uh, so that we can you know, present it uh, properly. To Vice Mayor Roberts. You already know about some of those. I mean, you, you could bring those at the next meeting, per se, and we could do a report out on my project or whatever else. It's just, that's where I'm kind of frustrated. Like, I've been working on this for nine months, and so this blows the whole thing up, and that's where I get frustrated. So, and again, it's it's investing in a parks and rec facility, a nonprofit serving that community, and one of the worst apartment complexes in the city. Um, it's just really frustrating to have all that work, time, and effort sort of blown up. Uh, you know, it's time is of the essence. And so, for me, like that's where I'm frustrated. I guess if there's an avenue to push that forward, that's fine. Um, but that's so. So I like, the, I guess, the exclusion clause there. But I, again, like this was kind of a surprise tonight to me and a, a bit of a torpedo. And um, we've been working hard to help District Four, and and I I feel like this is a bit of a slap in the face for that project. And I don't think it was intended, but it um, you know it's that's why we went to districts to serve underserved neighborhoods, and I feel like that's what we're doing. And this sort of takes that power away, which I understand why. I get the perception piece and all that other stuff. But, you know, I've got uh, 300 kids tonight going to sleep with no access to parks and rec facilities, uh, a, a defunct uh, neighborhood center, um, and, and just some clear disparities that we need to address. And this is a, a way that we can do that. So that's, that's why I'm frustrated, and that's why I'm passionate about it. And, and I know you're going to yeah. make a motion, but the, the issue is, and, and you just said it twice, you said, I've worked really hard, and I've wanted this. And, and that's what we're going to do when we go out to go door to door and knock. You're going to mention that project. It's, it's a great project. It's probably a great deal. I don't even know the details. And I don't want to take away from the children 
but that's what happens and it's not fair for anyone else that's going to try to run against me or you or anyone else not to have you know taxpayer money to go out and do something and then go hey especially in your district hey I, I brought that or hey I worked on that and that's that's what I think we need to avoid and 30 day in a three months you know and I get where you're at I totally get it but three months of just a pause and then if you get reelected you can carry on um, the council's heard what you're trying to do uh, you know we could bring it back and uh, talk about it at a different time but I think it's perception and that you got to be careful with that so with that I'm, I apologize yeah no worries yeah, because I, I do really think that that election, that campaign piece of the 90 days prior to election needs to be in there. Um, so what I'd like to do is potentially table us the next scheduled council meeting and let staff figure out the best way to approach those projects that have been going on for six or nine months, whether it's you take it away from the council member and it's an agenda voted item or it's continued pause till after election day. So if they want to do it on November 9th or something, that's an option or hand it over to another council member that can carry on that project in case they don't get reelected in the fall. And so that project still continues to pass. So I just like table and give staff opportunity to find the best way to approach those projects that have been going on um, for the last few months and, and are still in progress. To, to, stall it. To, to, to table it and let staff figure out how to address these specific long-term ones, whether it's it's an agended item or something. Or I'll second that and I'll also apologize if my comments came across pointed. Um, uh, I, I know I know that that was not um, your intention um, to, uh, to to you know I'm not questioning your integrity is what I'm saying. I, I am just concerned about the perception and I could have stated that better. So, so my apologies. Thank you. We don't have to vote on tabling it, or we have to vote on tabling it. Sure, and I have a second. Roll call. Oh, go ahead. So, uh, I have a question. Does this mean we, when it comes to projects and things, but just flat out donations, are we not able to now just use the money, just donate it towards public benefit without having like this, well, this wow me project? Like, if I just want to say, hey, I want to give. Um, Roll call vote. I'm sorry, because I know you're all anxious to be done with this, but I just want to be very clear, because um, currently the guidelines, which are just guidelines, do not allow for donations. And Councilmember Ritchie is interested in a donation. And so he has the fiscal, the, the current fiscal year, which is going to expire Thursday, and then the new fiscal year, which is going to start Friday. So if he wants to donate either the existing money or the new money, he would have to wait until you have this discussion at the July 26th meeting. So, so can we just bring back the portion regarding the 90 days? So that would, in, you would have to amend the motion to adopt a piece of what you want tonight and table the other part of the discussion. Because if I can, if I can do that, it's with, we can donate now, Re restate your motion, please. 
I got you. Go ahead. Okay, so just a motion to adopt the the new language regarding the donations to community organizations, uh, organizations that provide benefit to the community, and bring bring back options for the current extended um, uh, projects, the ones that have been in the works. The the ninety day. Yeah. I mean, honestly, they could, yeah. they could push everything but the timeliness section. So why hold up the rest, too? Like, could we just approve I think everything outside of the timeliness change. piece? That's what he's saying. Well, no, he just yeah. mentioned the affordability. He just mentioned I think the rest of it was... He was very specific in what he mentioned. Oh. I think the rest of it was the same, wasn't it? So I would, if you amended your motion, I would say we approve everything except the timeliness piece, which will be brought back at a later date, is how I think we should phrase it. The 90 day, that's what I, I, I apologize. Yeah. Is that but what that, That's what I... Right. Okay. I guess what you meant anyway. Yeah. You, you said donation. Roll call vote, please, before we change our mind. Mayor, can you, Mayor, can you repeat that? Yeah, we're, we're going to approve everything besides the 90-day. We're going to bring the 90-day deal back for the uh, election. And, and just to confirm Copy. that the 90 days also includes the uh, election period, too. Yes. Thank you. Roll call, please. Oh, let me turn your mic on. You're on. Okay. Um, <laughs> Councilmember Stockton? Yes. Councilmember Ritchie? Yes. Councilmember Silva? Yes. Councilmember Wiley? Yes. Vice Mayor Roberts? Yes. Councilmember Sullivan? Yes. Mayor Rolla? Yes. Item 10G, Mr. City Manager. Thank you, Mr. Mayor and members of the council. This final item before you tonight is consideration of a resolution amending campaign contribution limits for candidates for city office. Your city attorney, Melinda Stewart, has a presentation for you. Hi, good evening, Mayor, Vice Mayor, members of the council. Uh, as the city manager mentioned, this is really a continuation of last meeting's discussion on campaign contribution limits, um, and specifically uh, regarding the changes anything we said yesterday. Thank you. In, in the amount of the campaign contribution limits. Next slide, thank you. It's kind of small. Uh, so, uh, for a quick recap of what happened at the June 14th council meeting. So we did give you uh, an update on the campaign contribution limits ordinance. Uh, as a reminder, the current limits are set at $1,000 for by-district office candidates and $2,500 for at-large office candidates. Uh, we talked a little bit about uh, the experience with the ordinance. It's been used and applied in one election, a special election, and council member Ritchie shared with us kind of his practical experience with uh, the impact of those limits. We did do a little research and we found that every candidate in that special election did loan themselves money uh, to, to their uh, campaign committees. Uh, we also talked a little bit about the role of um, independent expenditure committees. And while they're unregulated in the amount that they can spend, uh, they, are, they have, do have reporting requirements uh, and they have to be complete completely independent of any uh, candidate or ballot measure. There was some concern voiced about changing uh, the limits immediately right now before a nomination period. Um, so I just wanna share, uh, which I think you all know, that the limits and changes, they do apply to all candidates and they provide the same benefits, burdens, uh, and opportunities 
and challenges to um, incumbents and non-incumbents uh, alike. Uh, the limit amounts can be set by resolution, which means they would be effective uh, immediately unless the council, if, if you decided to change the limits, uh, unless the council directed uh, effective, uh, a different effective date. Next slide, please. So staff has identified several different options for council consideration. Uh, those options include uh, uh, adopting a, a limit of no limits, uh, lowering the limits, raising the limits, and you could raise the, raise the limits above what the current limit is, or even above the state default limit of $4,900. Another option would be to raise the limit to the state default level at $4,900 and return uh, either at the next council meeting with an ordinance, uh, yeah, with an ordinance rescinding the, the limits, so it would be the state default uh, limits would apply. In that case, the state would be the enforcement authority. Uh, that's kind of the main main difference there. Uh, and the last option we've identified is to do nothing and leave the current limits in place. Next slide, please. Thank you. Uh, so uh, our city clerk, Michelle Thornbrew, prepared uh, this table of what the local limits are, so it addresses uh, all the jurisdictions in Solano County what the limits are, and you can see it varies. A uh, number of, of jurisdictions just default to the state limits, uh, but you do have a low limit of $250 uh, with the cities. The high limit is $25,000 in Dixon, uh, and then you have a, a limit for county supervisor of $30,000. And with that, uh, there's uh, no specific recommendation. You do have a couple of different options. If you take no action, the limits, current limits will stay in place, uh, or you could uh, adopt the subject resolution and provide us with the limits that you would like to revise them to. Thank you very much. I'm gonna open it up public comment. Seeing none, I'm gonna close public comment, bring it back to the vice mayor. Yeah, as we discussed before, I'm, I'm for limits, but what I really want to do is have a conversation with uh, Councilmember Stockton since he's the one that requests to come back. So I know we're trying to balance out like funding good campaigns, but also trying to limit somebody donating like $50,000 to a, uh, yeah, a district's run city council campaign, which there's no way you need that amount of money to run. So is yours like, like the, the, the limits themselves, or is it like the, the dollar amount that we assign to it? Or would you be okay with something a little bit higher, like we did adopt the state limit? Because I just don't want, you know, like I said, like fifteen to $20,000 coming from some big corporation to a specific candidate. So is yours the actual dollar amount that we selected, or is it? It's, it's not just the dollar amount, it's the fact it's per election. Um, and, and it's also the fact that we're the ones that have to keep track of it and enforce it. So I would support the state, you know, the, the default of the state, which is basically the 4,900 that the majority of, you know, city legislators in the county are doing. Um, and then that would be, you know, you would, it, that would be annual, correct? Or would that be per election cycle? I think we do whatever we want. No, no, but I'm curious as to the last slide, slide number four, oh, if, the, if the money it's, that's- It's every- Elections. Yeah, I mean, it's that would 
Craig is the second African-American male to serve on the Vacaville City Council. I know we've had um, a woman as well, but he had to finance his own campaign. And I think I just think that it's if we're trying to get people to do this, we shouldn't handcuff their ability to raise funds. I agree we want to know where they come from. I prefer that we totally get away from independent expenditures, but that's that's a right that people have based on the First Amendment and, and, and their ability to spend that money. But I think that this will curb a lot of that, and I think it'll make a more level playing field for everyone to yeah. be able to. Yeah. One, I think the independent expenditures, um, especially if people are donating money, uh, they're donating money because they don't want to do any work themselves for it. And so I think even if you limit how much they can do, they're not going to go out and make a bunch of their own signs and go out and walk neighborhoods for you because they'd rather give you the money than actually do that type of work themselves. Um, so I, I do believe there should be some type of limit, just to, like I said, limit those gross, large sums of money that are donated around. Not necessarily here in back, but we've seen it like in other cities across the U.S. and in California. I'm not suggesting that yeah. we up it to $25,000. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I feel like I'm losing control. Are you done? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm done. Councilmember Sullivan. This is a kind of a weird one, especially on the tail of the last conversation. Um, you know, there's only so many different donors in Vacaville that are going to donate over $1,000. It's less than probably five or six folks. It's a couple really wealthy business owners. It's a couple really wealthy developers, and it's a couple really wealthy special interest groups. So there's not people lining up to write us $1,000, $2,000, or $5,000 checks. There, there really just aren't, in, in my opinion. And, and if there are, there's a problem there, right? And typically, you trace that money back to a project or, or a favor or a contract or something there. So if they I, do, you'll know. Well, I, I agree. I mean, the, the, the problem is, you know, it's, it's we're darned if you do, darned if you don't. And Vacaville has had a problem with developers meddling with elections for a while. And if you look through the old FTC filings, it's it's there, it's clear. It's people are trying to buy votes and buy influence in some way, shape, or form. So I still feel really uncomfortable about it, you know, and I think that it's a broken system no matter how you slice it, but people, I don't think removing them fixes it, it doesn't, it also doesn't help. So I, I kind of agree with you in concept, but it is problematic. You know, we have special interest groups in Vacaville running candidates that for, for very specific purposes and basically buying campaigns. And we've seen it time and time again the last couple cycles. So I think that's problematic. I do also feel really uncomfortable changing the rules right before my personal election. I know, I know how you feel about it as well. And then you've got the independent expenditure committees too. So, but really in my head, this thousand bucks, we're only talking about five or six different donor types in Vacaville. And they're all trying to buy influence. It's not because they have an immense amount of faith in my ability to fight for democracy. It's because they're trying to buy votes. And so I, I just, I still have, some heartburn about it. I don't know how we fix it because the, the independent expenditure piece also is still there. Um, but, you know, when you've got developers trying to do big projects and it's a pivotal vote or you've got, you know, big contracts or things coming up, it's, I, I don't know, it makes a difference to me. And, I, and I've just seen a lot of money in politics and a lot of influence over the last couple years in Vacaville and it, it alarms me. It's, it's worrisome. So I do feel for, for Greg's, um, you know, the, the campaign tribulations and trials, and I'm gonna have to go through that myself pretty pretty quick here. Um, but it's a weird one. I wish there was a way to get money out of politics completely. And I, I don't know how we do that. You know, there's Seattle, I think, is, is city-funded, and you can only take city, I'm not saying we even go down that road. But unfortunately, there is um, unfair influence, I think, even in Vacaville, and I, I personally, I'm, I'm taking no action tonight. I just don't feel comfortable doing it, because I don't think it fixes anything. The problem's still broken, it's still there. 
it's, you know, so I, I do agree with you in principle. I just really struggle with this one. And again, the, the few times I've seen donations over $1,000 where I've looked at other candidate statements, developer, special interest, business owner that all had major business with the city or a major, major revenue contract of sorts. And it's buying influence. That's what it is. So um, I, I just still have some concerns about it. I'm going to jump in real quick. I um, I said back when we we talked about this and we put it in to uh, our ordinance or for the city. I, I didn't like it. Uh, I've visited too many other areas that put these things in place. I use San Francisco as an example. San Francisco is huge, and they have a $500 limit, and it's a joke. And what happens is the IEs come in and all this outside dark money, and we talked about this last time, and I really wanted to beg this council not to do it. Um, and I, I don't know, there is no easy fix, but for what there is, um, and I can't remember who said it up here tonight, if, if you make it so tough, then the IEs come in. And I've already heard of four IEs in Vacaville, which we didn't have IEs in Vacaville <laughs> before we started to put limits on it. Um, so that concerns me. And then that becomes another horrible thing. I think lots of negative politics comes into play. Uh, when you, and I would like to see it open completely. I know you mentioned 4,900, but then you're saying 4,900 for a district and then the mayor has to run with the same as you guys are running in little districts. Um, I don't think that's even. Uh, running at large takes a lot of money and it's, it's a lot different than running it for districts. Um, but if you say unlimited and everyone can just go back and write the check, then those IEs, I really feel like they go away. Um, and I feel like it's, it's easier for someone to write a check and go, okay, now I don't have to worry about an IE. We don't have to worry about you know, doing all the extra work. Um, it's just easier to do it and we have to report it. And uh, Councilmember Sullivan said, I go back and look at people's stuff and say, oh yeah, they've gotten checks from all these folks. I think it's worked. I think it's worked exactly like it has to work, is say, hey, you get unlimited money, and then if you take a lot of money from someone, that can actually be used, you know, when people go out and talk about it, they're like, hey, someone got 10,000 or 25,000, which I've never seen, but um, I, I would like to see it open up, and I think uh, the IEs go away. I think that's the first thing that would go away. And the IEs scare me because I think IEs are just negative. I don't think they're out there for uh, doing positive things in Vacaville. So that's my two cents. And I think it was uh, Councilmember Stockton next. So I would be okay with that with if there was something in place where um, if, if you had an unlimited donation, you had a donation that was made and there's a project that comes up, with the company that has given you that money, I think it should be announced prior to the vote. I'm not saying you can't vote, but I, I would be in favor of that as long as it's made, there's notice made before we vote on that topic. I would be okay with it because, because most people are not gonna go log in and check, right? And so if what we're trying to accomplish is transparency and knowing where the money comes from, I'm okay with taking money like, I'm okay with the limit of taking money being higher as long as there's a disclosure made prior to voting, and I would say within that person's election cycle. 
right? So if you've taken money from that group within the last four, four years or the, during your term, oh I, boy. <laughs> well, no, well, I mean, I mean, that's the only way that I think that you get unlimited or some high amount like we're seeing on some of these I think I think LAFCO and you might know to the manager LAFCO I think for one year you have to like announce with anything over so a, a threshold LAFCO has like one year it's a hard stop you got to let people know that you took money from a developer so I don't know if LAFCO has a, a specific regulation but the FPPC does regulate that with respect to um, governing bodies of non-elected Oh, okay. Officials, so like the planning commission uh, would be the same, same thing if a planning commissioner were running for for a council seat and mm. received a donation. Um, and 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 if I can add um, one one comment to that, so tonight the only thing the council can change by resolution is the actual amount. Oh. Okay. If you wanted to add some some bumpers to that, we'd have to bring an bring ordinance back. back. Um, we I don't can give direction, correct? You you can give direction to to bring an ordinance change back that. There's a there's a timing issue with that, so I don't know that it would be effective for this campaign Sorry. cycle. By the time that's effective, the limit would. Right. The bumpers then would be effective later. But if we had if we put something in place where they would have to make this disclosure before they voted on a particular item, that may not matter anyway, right? So if you know Acme uh, developer is building a uh, big project here and brings the proposal to us, that would trigger that disclosure. So whether it's part of this period or not. She's saying it can't be part of this. We'd have to bring it back and discuss that. Right, we'd, we'd have this to bring is, it back. You want to change the amount? Got it. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I believe uh, Councilmember Ritchie, you're up. All right, thank you. It's interesting with all the comments. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it was interesting. Um, I feel like this is kind of, it's a repeat of the last one. Kind of science experiment with me and uh, the city. Uh, you know, by coincidence, me being the first African-American ever elected, you know, and the first person ever to have limits, um, and now everyone else has to jump back in, it's, it's a hot topic. It, it's coincidence, it's timing, it sucks, it's weird, but uh, I, I'm truly a proponent of no limits. I, I really feel, if you guys want to have transparency, like, I agree with the mayor, like, you can't force people to just do kind of private groups and IEs. Bring bring everything to the light. Make it transparent. Uh, if someone wants to donate money towards you, or your cause, or your belief, or whatever, whatever, it should be transparent. They should be able to put the money in the books so the whole world sees it. So everyone knows, hey, this person, company, whatever, supports Nolan, supports Stockton, supports Greg. Um, instead of assuming having this kind of like this mysterious IE out there pushing uh, an agenda because they believe in you to hopefully yield to what they want. It, it just it, it gives a lot of misdirection. Is if you allowed no limit, it would allow whoever really has a passion, believes in what you stand for, to put money behind you, and they're accountable. You're accountable. Everybody's transparent. I mean, the transparency is really the key. There should be no limit. So there's, there's no barriers for entry. People say, I believe in. Mayor Roulette, I want to donate money towards him, and I don't care who sees it. Like that, that's the true essence of democracy. You know, having people truly believe in a cause or a goal to the point where they don't care about being 
praised or persecuted for their beliefs. So I, I think having no limit is important. Um, I mean, the fact is, I mean, you know, when I was running, I had, I had a choice. Like, I turned out money all the time. I, I invested my own money because I believed in myself and what I stood for and what I want to have happen. Um, I literally had checks in my, my office drawer. Maybe I was too busy to cash them. Or I didn't believe in what they what, what they what they want. Like, I mean, you have to have a discerning spirit. And I can tell if someone had an agenda or a motive that I didn't stand for, I'll blow them off. And so you have to have the ability to say no. And that's a problem. If, if you're a politician or a person that just takes money, takes money, and now you're now you're, you're trapped. You're you're kind of caught in the snare. You have to be able to say no to what you don't believe in, and have the courage to not take money from someone who does who doesn't align with your values. <coughs> so if you can't do that, then you're then you're kind of you're beefed anyways. So you have you have to have the courage to not take money from somebody because you feel what they're trying to push on you is not your in your moral fibers. So the the no limit is, is a viewpoint. Like somebody say, great, I'll give you $10,000 if you, if you vote this way. If, yeah, the point is like, get out of my face. Like if, if you don't believe in that, if you don't, if you don't, if you feel that there is some kind of agenda they're pushing, then refuse the money. And you, you have the right to do that. So it's like, I think everyone's missing the big elephant in the room. You don't have to take money. Like if you, sh you should be so steadfast in your beliefs that you would rather lose than sell your soul to take money from somebody. So if you can't do that, then you shouldn't be here in the first place. Um, that's it. Vice Mayor Roberts. Yeah, go, go back to limits. Uh, speaking of like unlimited uh, or no contribution limits, um, the issue with that is when you have no limits, laws of people, especially their career politics, laws of them establish very large war chests, essentially, because they can get lots of numerous donations and not spend it all each year. So each campaign, they they accumulate more and more money. Um, I, I know that's how a lot of state members and federal members are able to run at that point because they collect money from their city council or county level thing. So I, I do believe there needs to be limits. And going back to when we passed this, these are actually lower than the limits that I recommended initially. This is actually the mayor's recommendation. <laughs> I don't even remember. <laughs> I think it was a long, long meeting. They just like gave us some numbers and we went with it. Um, yeah, because uh, my, my initial recommendation from a couple years ago was for that large was uh, the state default. I can't remember what the um, district was. It was probably like 1,500 or 2,000 or something. And so I, I do remember that that this was lower than my initial recommendation two years ago. Um, yeah, it's kind of the hard part where it's like I still think we do need contribution limits for at least right now because we get rid of them immediately for election. It, it can have a perception of looking bad, just like spending district dollars. So I, I'm not opposed to increasing them a little bit because we do have one member that went through and said it was difficult, but I still believe we do need them there. Um, and if we keep them high enough to where people donate, but then don't go out and do the independent expenditures, that's a balance we need to find. Um, because yeah, they they oh, I can give you some money, but I still don't want to go do work. But if you do limit it, then they're like, oh, I still want to do more for you. That's where the problem comes in. Um, so I don't know if anybody has any ideas of what we might be able to increase to a little bit, just where it's going to be trial and error. They're going to probably get some people with limits here, and 
then they may come back and be like, oh yeah, that, that was a good, we were able to campaign with that amount without any issues. Or they'll come back and say, hey, yeah, we were still kind of very limited in what we were able to do. Um, I have two more speakers. Okay, yeah, I'll let the other council members comment. And I believe next up is council member Sullivan. Thank you, Mayor. I, I think, uh, you know, I, Councilmember Stockton sparked some, some thoughts. I think for me, diagnosing kind of the problem is special interest sort of buying elections and backflow, at least having undue influence is the problem. That's, that's what I'm trying to address. I think the limits don't really fix that because of these loopholes and whatnot. I think Councilmember Stockton, you were talking about the noticing process. That probably really more is what I'm looking for. So I think noticing during the election is helpful because you're notifying voters of that influence or that possible influence during the election process because most people don't dig in and read the reports and this that and the other and I think there is some importance there I think the other piece of that is right before you vote I mean there were several major donors in the last couple campaigns that had major million dollar projects on the chopping block and they made multi-thousand dollar donations to Vacaville city electeds that wasn't because they believed in them and thought they had a great heart. It was because they wanted them to vote yes on their project. We had several different special interest groups run candidates based on their stance on very specific issues in the city of Vacaville. So again, it's they should have to disclose that before you vote on it. Before you vote on a multi-million dollar contract, you should have to say, yeah, I took 10,000 bucks from this group. And so I think if we had a process for that, I would feel much more comfortable. I don't care if they make the donation, but I think it needs to be public and I think we need to connect the dots for those votes. And again, there were some very clear issues in the last election cycle and a couple before that where people are using their influence. And again, there's not a whole lot of folks in Vacaville that have a, above a thousand bucks to donate. So I would be very comfortable perhaps even removing the cap altogether if we had a noticing process. I don't think we're there tonight and it's gotta come back. So I, I still feel very uncomfortable changing anything right before my election cycle. and I. But I, I, I understand exactly what you're saying. I think that's a great idea. And honestly, if we had a better noticing process or public transparency process, I would be fully comfortable with removing the limits altogether. For me, it's the public needs to be informed and they have a short memory. You know, the campaign cycle happens here and six months later you vote on this major project. The public doesn't remember that, but you know, all of a sudden that vote that went this way versus that way makes a little more sense. That's the issue for me. And so I think if staff can figure that out, work that out, maybe after this election cycle, I'd be 100% on board with removing them all together. I don't know if we can do that, you know, in, in advance of that, and also, you know, just a week before the filing date or two weeks before the filing date for me just feels kind of funky. So I do like that vein of thought. I, I'm still kind of stuck based on timing, but I think the transparency and noticing piece really is what I'm getting at. And I think maybe the original campaign limits were, were kind of a, a misstep, you know, but it's getting us closer to where I think we need to get less transparency for voters and the public. Councilmember Wiley. I didn't come to this meeting with a prearranged, this is what I think it should be. I wanted to hear the discussion and we've had a good discussion on this. I have been involved um, for several years in, in campaigns on the outskirts of them. This was the first campaign that I ran on my own really. Um, I do want to comment on the default to the state and the comment that if if it defaults to the state, then they have to be the watchdogs and not us. So if we have a, a thousand and two fifty, like we twenty five hundred, like we do, um, does that involve a lot of work for city staff, or is it just you have to look at our FPPC numbers, or how, how does does defaulting to the state help you a lot? So we've only had the one election um, where we've had this, but we did have a complaint 
um, and to to be fair, it would it would be a lot of staff time um, because staff is going to have to track all of your donations and make sure that the aggregate of those donations doesn't go over the limits you've imposed. And then staff has to be the ones to um, rectify that situation with you if that occurs. Um, and in my position where I'm supposed to be remaining neutral, that could be kind of an uncomfortable position for me to be in. Um, and the same with somebody who's appointed by you as a, as a legislative body. So um, that's not the way it is in some cities. I'm, I'm elected in other cities, the city clerk is appointed. So there's, there's difference there for who they work for. Um, but anyway, so as far as staff time, it took a few hours to go over the complaint that we received for the District 2 election. And that was um, a special election, which was a small election. It was a small and election. one election, not three, and the mayor. Yes. So then if, if it defaults to the state, then the state is the watchdog here. But if we said... Well, no, so the state wouldn't really be the watchdog. The state would be the one who would enforce any complaints. So the, in, in the case of the FPPC, they really rely on the public looking at the, the, the statements, which are now mandated to be provided on the city's website. So it used to be you had to come in and look at them. Now you can see them on the city's website going forward. Um, so hopefully people will take advantage of that. And that's why we put in the net filing so that it's, an, it's kind of easier and it's more consistent when you view the, the statements, they all look very much the same and it's not handwritten and all that kind of stuff. But, um, so they, they will be online and, and there are, I, I do know that there have been complaints by either other candidates made to FPPC in the past um, or by the public who looked at statements and said this, you know, this looks in, like, you know, a violation of FPPC rules and they investigate and then they do it. And it does, um, I think it bears a little more weight when the FPPC says that we're looking at this and that we see this as a possible violation. But. All right, and I really appreciate you putting together the, the little chart that shows what the other cities are doing. I will point out, you know, Rio Vista and Sassoon defaulted to the state. They are still just a board of five and they don't have districts where we are different, which we have seven if we went with default to the state i would understand that the at large would be more we can't really say that would be for everyone because particularly now with people sending out mailers the cost of that everything has gone up so much that that it really does cost more to run a campaign than it used to um, and i also just will say i've been around for a while too, and even though you might say it's unlimited, and I really believe you're still gonna get some independent expenditures, because when you have an independent expenditure, they run it on their own, they do not run it with the campaign, with the person running, and there can be, that, that's why they wanna do an independent expenditure. It, it's not just to make it easy so I don't have to do it. If you, if you don't mind doing the work and being able to say what you want about mostly about your opponents rather than the person who's running, um, then it's not gonna cut independent expenditures. It might not have four, but you're still gonna have some of them. So 
Um, I don't know where we are with this. I'm not going to make a motion, but it sounds like we're not quite ready to have a motion that's going to be passed. But we, if we can change the amount, that's okay. But if we want to add stipulations, like you must say, I got $5,000 from someone, which I did not, um, then we would have to bring that back with another ordinance or something. Right. All right. Vice Mayor Roberts. Yeah, going back, going to just open up to discussion on, does anybody have any ideas on possible limits, like do we just incrementally increase until we find a number that works well for everybody's, or do we just want to default to the state, which for districts that's, I think, fairly high, but for that large, it can be kind of low. Um, but then it also takes, so even if we, so even if we set a limit at 25,000, that would fall on the, the staff to verify that as well, correct? Any amount, yeah. Yeah. Uh, except the state default where we'd go to the FPPC and the public would have to make the complaints that way. Um, yeah, it's... I still have one more. Yeah, it's kind of difficult to see as well. Councilmember Stockton, so if you had any I'm just going to throw something out just to get the conversation started, mm -hmm. but I think that I, I personally, if I was to make a motion, I'm not making one, but if I was right now just to get it started off, I would say I think our district races having a $5,000 limit for for your four-year term. So within four years, you got $5,000, $10,000 for, um, for an at-large election. And then I would say, I would in that, I would recommend that staff come back to us with a, um, a process to declare when you take money from an organization or an individual that we're voting upon. Because I think that accomplishes what we're trying to accomplish. And, and I think that it'll that that amount of money, people are going to take the um, kind of the easiest route, I think, when it comes to making a donation or whether or not they want to go through the FPPC process to do an independent expenditure. And so if, if we make it the path, the path of least resistance for them to be able to make these donations, but also have to make that declaration, I think we're accomplishing what we want to accomplish. So I don't Is that know. your motion? I mean, five thousand and ten thousand. So I, I would, I'll, I'll motion uh, for five thousand for a. Uh, and you want to do this state default that way? The staff sure. doesn't have to deal this, with. Well, the state the default is what is four thousand. Forty nine hundred. That's, that's fine. Uh, and then I would double that for, for the uh, at large. I just don't think they're the same. It's a large, it's a larger body of people, but but I, I only with that. only with the um, with the um, added point that the direct staff to come back with what we discussed about making a disclosure, a disclosure publicly before you vote on something that you take money for. Mrs. City Attorney. So, so my only concern, I think you you can separate them. We've obvi obviously done that uh, as it is now. I don't know that the default to the state would then. Um, make the state the enforcement authority if we don't default everything to the state. Like if we if we have an ordinance that treats the at-large positions differently. Okay. So then I would just say five and 10, and then can we still in the motion give staff direction to come back with the declaration process? Yes. Okay, then that'll be my motion. I'll second. Roll call. So yes, my motion is that we adjust the campaign donations for a four-year term. 
to for for council members to be five district 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 members right five thousand and for the mayor's position ten thousand and that staff come back to us with a disclosure process for us to make known at the time of voting um, if we've taken money from somebody that we're voting on their item did I say that okay Melinda well can I can I interrupt and ask a clarification because yes. you're very specific in your wording so yeah. when you say a four-year election there is the potential that one of you could you know leave your term earlier which would mean you know a variety of different uh, opportunities for someone else so do we want to just say during an election cycle yeah. yes and that's per person per person to five thousand per person right. per per election per donation per person per yeah. election cycle per person, yeah so no one no one person could donate more than five thousand dollars per election per cycle. an election yeah. cycle yeah. Vice Mayor Roberts. Yeah, I, I just really like uh, a definite answer on if if we can have split default, like if the districts can be, you, you guys would still have to do that. You can't have like just at large races. If we adopt an ordinance imposing camp contribution limits, the FPPC does not become the enforcement officer. So we have to have no ordinance for campaign limits. We could have an ordinance with some other restrictions and their default, um, but if you have your own ordinance with limits, then we become the enforcement. Okay. Councilmember Wiley. And when we say split person, that's not per household. So you could have a Mr. and a Mrs. and whoever, is that correct? I mean, correct. I just wanna be that's clear. Correct. Yeah. Okay. okay, we have a motion. We have a second? Second. Can we have a roll call? Did we already have a second? All right, Gary, I'm over. Councilmember Ritchie? Yes. Councilmember Silva? I'm sorry, this is, ain't going effect to this election cycle? Upcoming one? Yeah, it goes in effect tonight. Seven. No. Councilmember Wiley? No. Councilmember Roberts? No. Councilmember Sullivan? No. Councilmember Stockton? Yes. Mayor Rolette? Yes, it fails. Do we have another motion? Vice Mayor? Yeah, I'll vote. Um, just because the experiences that Councilmember Ritchie did have, and like I said, it's going to be trial and error. I, I do think, I mean, my reasoning to go up to the state default was to take the, the work off of staff. Um, and so, sorry. Um, so I'll just make a, a motion to adopt the, the state default across the board. Uh, it's a little bit higher than what I'd personally like to see, but I also wanna take the pressure off the staff because there are, I mean, yeah, we have the council members here and that's not including, you might have a race of five people, so they have to then verify all those statements. Um, yeah, so with that, I'm gonna make a motion to adopt the, the state default and take that pressure off the, the staff from the city. And also, do you also include the uh, part to make a public disclosure? I was going to bring that up during council comments. Okay. It's a completely separate Perfect. item. Okay, sounds good. Make, okay. Council Member Wiley. 
I second that because I don't think most of the candidates will spend the up to 4900 and it doubles what is for the mayor at this time. So I, and it takes the onus of the work off of our staff here. So I second that. Okay. May I seek clarification? Sure. Does that also include direction to bring back an ordinance repealing our current, our limits? Our, yeah, our campaign so that, that's what we have to do to let it fall on yeah. the FPPC in the state versus our staff, correct? Yes. Yes. Okay, thank you. Council Member Sullivan. So, so I have a, a couple clarifications. So the Councilman Roberts motion is to make the, the new limit would be the state default, which is 4,900. Is that what we're saying? Yes. That's what we're going to do here. So I, I guess my issue is still sort of the same, whether it's 1,000 bucks or 4,900 or 20,000. There, there are donors waiting today to dump a $5,000 check in some of our campaign accounts. And for me, it's not the dollar amount. It is disclosing that, that account or that, that transaction that's going to happen. I guarantee it if we remove this tonight. Um, it, and so I, I'm comfortable with it. I'm actually comfortable removing it altogether, but I want the noticing process in place. And so my concern is, is there's a gap there. We're going to have immediate deposits of very large sums of money because people are trying to buy influence. And so I think that the issue at hand for me again is, is connecting those dots. So I have zero problem with your motion tonight. I think it makes a ton of sense. I would really like to have the noticing process included as part of this motion and maybe time to, to work together. So I don't mind if, the, if the, the, the dollar amount goes up or we move it all together, but I wanna know who's making those deposits. My concern is it's gonna take staff three or four months to work on the noticing process. And in that time span, we're gonna have several $4,900 donations that go into people's yeah. accounts for very specific purposes. And so that's kind of where my concern's at. So I don't know if we can tie the two together. I know they're two separate issues, but that's really where- um, I was gonna bring that up as a separate motion if council comments, so they're not- Right, but how, so how do we time them? If they are separate, how do we time them? If we can we time them? Well, the, the fact of the matter is, is that at tonight's meeting, you can only do the one, right. the dollar limit. If you want us to come back to have any other conversation about this subject, it has to come back and then that would be included in an ordinance. So you're looking at a first and a second. So it's gonna take, you know, regardless of our ability to put this in front of you, just the, the, the time factors involved in the process is going to put you out, you know, halfway between now and the election. Sure, yeah, that's the, yeah, the timing's the problem there, yeah. I don't, I don't know, I mean, unless like the motion tonight was to have staff, you know, bring back the noticing process and addition to the you can't make that motion. You can make the yeah. motion. For we can make it during council comments, though. Yeah. Correct? Yes. But they're not they're not tied time-wise, is what we're being told. So so it sort of defeats the point of the conversation earlier. It, it makes sense. But the noticing wouldn't matter until after somebody's elected, because they're going to have to disclose what's... I guess that's true. I guess yeah. that's... So that, that could be later on. I, I guess that's a valid point. Yeah. Okay. Okay, I have a motion. I have a second. Roll call, please. Council Member Sullivan. I am saying no because it's a traditional election. That's what it's going on. Council Member Stockton. Yes. Council Member Ritchie. Yes. Council Member Silva. Uh, no. Council Member Wiley. Yeah. Council Member Roberts. Yes. Mayor Rowlett. No. So I need to look at the rule on how we treat abstention.
they have a tie. So right, yes. But under the rules, you can abstain for anything, for any reason, at any time. You don't ever have to vote. That's right. Does it change the quorum number? What's that? So it, we have a tie. Right. So um, it's more on the quorum number. From what I remember, yeah, it, it was any time. When it's not because of um, a conflict, right? It then she's not saying it's conflict. It she's just saying. If it was a conflict, then we, term, four of us, could vote on it. My amount, and so someone could say, oh, look what she did. She raised her amount just before the election, so I just vote abstain for that reason, to avoid a conflict. So we have So, I mean, sorry, just to add to this, I think that's why whatever we decide shouldn't go into effect after the election. I think we're figuring out what we're Because if it dies, then it dies. That might be helpful if that five-minute break. Right. Oh, what two more items? Good. Just the council comments. Yeah. We can adjourn before council comments. Yeah, let's go to, uh, let's, hey, hey, everybody, let's go on a 10-minute break. Is 10 minutes going to be long enough? It will be long, it will be long enough, yes. 10 minutes.
10 minutes. Silva? Yep, here. Okay, great. I'm gonna call it back to order. So Mr. Mayor, there is not a special rule on how you treat abstentions in that uh, situation as far as voting. So it would be three, three, the motion would three, not. Three, three died. Correct. Okay. Did you want to make a motion? I will motion that we go to unlimited for all and that we have staff bring back at the next two. We'll, we'll have to hold on that. Yeah, that's gonna be under okay. council comments. Well, that's coming. Um, so I motion that we move it to unlimited. Um, Donations. Second. Motion second. Unlimited donations. Roll call, please. <laughs> Councilmember Ritchie. Sorry. Uh, yes. Councilmember Silva. No. Councilmember Wiley. No. Vice Mayor Roberts. Yes. Councilmember Sullivan. No. Councilmember Stockton. Mayor Rowlett. Yes, it passes, 4-3. Okay, now we'll move to item 11, reports of city manager. I'm gonna be real city. quick, um, given the hour, and, but just a shameless promotion for our 4th of July event coming up this uh, next Monday. Um, the weather's supposed to be beautiful, um, so we invite the community to join us at Andrews Park between 6.30 and 9.30 for a free concert and free fireworks show. Just a friendly reminder though, um, the safe and sane fireworks that you can buy in other cities or other states that people like to light up in front of their homes are considered illegal here in Vacaville. So um, as such, the council adopted a new ordinance earlier this year, um, you know, taking additional action about uh, fines um, for safe and sane fireworks at your home. So we would just appreciate the community's cooperation. Come out and have fun with us at Andrews Park and um, don't participate in those other illegal fireworks um, so that we can have a safe uh, uh, 4th of July. So thank you. That's all right. All I have. Council member Stockton, oh, item, the next item, council, council comments. Council member Stockton. So I would like to motion that we have staff bring back um, a declaration process or disclosure process about uh, taking campaign donations from people within our elected or our election cycle um, to be made public before voting on something affecting that donor. So you need a second and a motion. Can I just make a, a yes, message that I'd much before I get second? Uh, also include a um, recusal threshold, uh, or if there's a way to do that, like just for the duration. Bring, bring back, yeah, bring, I would say yeah. just bring back ideas of what yeah. we can. Of disclosure or thresholds for yeah. recusal. You want to restate it? I want to talk it? about all of it. Okay. Can we, can we also add in some options during the, the campaign? I mean, part of it is by the time they get on, they're elected already, it's too late. And I know, again, the dollars are going to start flowing now and I think the public needs to know. So it'd be nice to have like a, above a thousand dollars you have to disclose on a special city form or something, if, or, as well as when you're actually making the vote. I think the front end and the back end are equally important. I believe I believe that donors already have to um, within 24 hours report a thousand dollars donated to and candidates as well so and I do believe that with the lifting of the, the limits that, that people will go back to doing that that's how it used to be we'd get right. 497s and 496s 
every, all the time. We'd be scurrying to get them posted. The hard part um, is to distinguish whether or not they have city business. So a lot of times they'll be buried under like shell company names or it's some obscure group and you can't tell that it's actually related to someone with a city financial vested interest. And so that's my, my bigger concern is, is you know, it, it, it's buying, you know, buying influence. And so again, looking at lots of these forms, it's hard to tell sometimes who the donors are because it's right. such and such corporation or the such and such organization. So for me, I don't know how we address that or not, but that's hey, where I problem. Councilman, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to bring it all back. Okay. And all he's making is a motion to bring it back and let's discuss it. Everything, no one's, mine, his, hers, everybody's. So that's a motion. Second. That's a second roll call for that, please. Council Member Silva? Here. Council Member Wiley? Here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Vice Mayor Roberts? Yes. Council Member Sullivan? Council Member Stockton? Yes. Council Member Ritchie? Yes. Mayor Rowlett? Oh, yeah, uh, yes, and I'm here. I have more comments, too. Uh, Council Member Stockton, I'm you so are still, sorry, you're still up. I'm still going. Um, I, want, I wanted to thank uh, the Vacaville Fire Department. Um, I know that they responded for mutual aid with the fire that happened over in Allendale and saved a home from burning down. Like, literally, the unit that responded went out there and saved a home, so... Uh, massive uh, kudos for you guys and for the for the engine that went out there and helped. Um, there was a lot of talk today about Measure M, a lot of really good stuff. I haven't heard anything about the Measure M 3x3. I know that that's something that we've discussed. I'd like, uh, I know that we talked about, you know, getting three folks from the Parks and Rec Commission with three folks from the uh, council. I would really like staff to come back and this, you know, have that discussion about Measure M and what we're going to do with it sooner rather than later. I feel like we keep kicking the can down the road. So, it, it, am I able to put that on an agenda? Can Just I move tell them to bring them? Can, measure can M that be brought back. back at our next meeting? Not Please? our next meeting, but in July. We only have one in July. That's why the next one's going to be big. Okay. Can we have one soon? I just, I just think that we, um, you know, we've got a lot of folks that are, you know, we're talking about parks and we're talking about making improvements in different districts. And I think that this is something that council all, all agrees on wanting to do something with this money. And I just want to see, you know, something happen because it's, we've, been, we've been waiting. So when, when can we expect to see Measure M? I can bring something back for you guys to talk about um, at council level. Uh, probably in August. In August. Probably. Um, Are you done? Huh? Are you done? I have one more thing. I would like to also, while we're requesting things to talk about, um, would the sports not. would a sports complex fall under that Measure M discussion, or Absolutely. can it be included in there? Because still getting lots of people that want a sports complex in Vacaville. I just saw an announcement that there was a, a one announced in Sacramento. Sacramento, and some rumors flying around that other cities in our jurisdiction might be, you know looking to do this as well and I, I if we're gonna do it I'd like to start moving on that path. okay um, I'm going to go to vice mayor Roberts yeah I just had a couple things uh, yeah I just want to thank Parks and Rec and everybody for the we had the first dive-in movie for the summer uh, this past weekend uh, it was a great turnout they actually hit capacity and that turned people away fortunately um, 
but we won't, we will need more support in the next one uh, with the media team because the sound system that they have out there was not sufficient to project sound over 300 people. Um, so that's, that's one thing I'm working with staff with to get that taken care of. Um, I do have one thing that I'd like staff bring back. The mayor is probably going to give me a crazy look. Probably. I, I'd like to bring back the conversation, the duration of the mayor's term. I know it went from two years to four years back in the 70s. I believe when Lundell, I looked at it before. Main reason I want to do that is because with the split into districts, uh, districts one, three, and five are always going to have an inherent advantage if any of them decide to run for mayor because we'll always run from a safe seat. And so I think having it as a two-year term would be more equitable across all districts for the city. Besides the mayor. Oh, you just have to run more. Right. Well, you have limited funds, so you can have bigger war chests every two years. Um, so I'd like to bring that back for discussion. I know that that'd be that have to be a ballot measure because uh, we can't vote on that. And so what the timeline would be for putting that on a ballot. After November 8th. Yes, so just to clarify, is this something that you're hoping to have before this election? Because that's not going to happen. Yeah, uh, I figured it's probably too close for okay. for this one. Okay, so I appreciate that. So if you can give us some time, you know, we'll, we'll put it on the yeah, list. Yeah, no ballot measures take a while to get going and yeah. take care yeah. of. But yeah, it's just something to look at since we are in districts now. I think having a two-year term, I don't know, but... Um, I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it'd just be more equitable across the districts because right now the even numbers, they'd either have to choose to keep their council seat or run for mayor if they decide to make that, where or yeah, one, three, five, six two. Years. So I think that'd be a good discussion to have since we are in districts and it just just due to the nature of that particular request, I mean, and, and I appreciate the, the the opportunity to bring that back at a later motion, but I think that that's worthy of a of a second and a vote to bring that back. Okay. Yeah, so I'd like to make a motion to bring back the the mayoral uh, term length uh, for a ballot measure discussion. I have a motion and a second. Council Member Stockton? No. Council Member Ritchie? No. Council Member Silva? Uh, yeah. Council Member Wiley? Yes. Council Member Roberts? Yes. Council Member Sullivan? Yes. Mayor Roulette? No. Still ties. I'm still passes. Which was it? Um, is that it? I'm waiting. You got no, no, I'm saying from this gentleman. <laughs> yes. Okay. So I'm going to turn yours off. I'm going to go to Councilmember Wiley. Councilmember Wiley. Thank you. I will. I've attended several things this week. They've all been great. Uh, the city's doing wonderful things. I also want to say that there was a special thing here today. I want to thank city staff. This is the second time they sat in those seats today. Um, this morning, uh, Council Member Sullivan organized a special mock city council for the summer interns. And so in your seats were about 20 
juniors and seniors. And uh, we had a presentation from the League of Women Voters who talked about the importance of city politics and how important that you know the residents are at the top of the chart for Vacaville and to be involved. And so it was just a really great presentation um, from them. And then the sixth of the young interns got a chance to sit up here and we talked about the downtown specific plan and they got a chance to weigh in and ask questions. So it was really wonderful. So thank you all for your involvement. Thank you for organizing it. And then the vice mayor was actually the mayor this morning. So uh, we've been here a bit today. We've been here a bit today, but I will tell you um, at our next meeting, we've got a lot of things that are going to be on the next meeting. I had some plans I could not change, so I will not be here at the July meeting. And just trust that my voice is heard somehow. And um, I appreciate your being here to the very end. Thank you. Okay, um, I wasn't going to say anything, but now I'll say something. I think that uh, I'd like to make a motion to make everyone two years and make it equitable for everyone up here to be running every two years. I, I'm joking. And I, with that, I'm going to say goodnight back to them. Yeah.